in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. A shot on Elo. Guys, the Bulls win! You know what time it is. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic. Welcome back into another episode of the Sports Hour. This is Mitch Moe. And this is Dallin. Guys, welcome on in. It is good to be here. Wake up, Linda. We do it. We're starting. We do it for you, Linda. Uh, We we love it. Uh, Welcome on in to the Sports Hour. Uh, Mitch, we've got a jam-packed show today. We've got a lot. We've got quite a bit. We're going to get into the world of college football. Bowl season is upon us. The college football playoff has been determined, as have the New Year's Six Bowls. And we're going to get into all that with initial reactions to the matchups, uh, Heisman finalists, uh, just the world of college sports as well. Some more head coach uh, vacancies getting filled this week and some more becoming open as, as a result, uh, it continues. The carousel continues. Uh, so we're going to get into that. Uh, and then Mitch, uh, in the NFL, we are a few weeks away from the playoffs. You know, we, the season is winding down. So we're going to take a look week by week through the rest of the season uh, at the key matchups as far as playoff implications, teams fighting for playoff spots, division races, et cetera. So we're going to get into a handful of games from what was a very interesting week 13 in the NFL. So a lot to be had this week, Mitch. And of course, we have to start it off where we always do. That's right. Buckle up, folks. Let's get into the news. Yes, sir. Yep. That is where we start. Still still un- very uncreative about it. Still very it, uncreative about that's it. That's okay. One day it'll just come. It'll just happen. <laughs> it, it will. You know, I, I, I think of myself like an artist with that. You know, it just, it's going to come. Exactly. To it'll, it'll be an immaculate conception. And thus will be born. It's going to click. I'm going to be like the Kanye West of news entries one of these days. And I'm just going to be a lyrical genius about it. It's going to come to me. And that's, I just feel like it's going to happen one day. Mitch, I don't know if you've been following Kanye West's life for like the past five years. I don't think you want to be the Kanye West of anything. I don't. I don't want to be living inside of a stadium. I don't want to do that. That is, I completely forgot that, yes, he was essentially homeless living in the basement of Mercedes-Benz Stadium earlier this year for like three weeks and a little, (laughs) in a little closet he was sleeping. Was he just actually homeless did Kim just like actually kick him out of the house and nobody uh, would let him in? And that was the best he could find. And he I just, mean, we just, he just disguised it as some artistic venture. I think if we learned anything, just don't marry a Kardashian, a Kardashian kids. <laughs> like don't marry I mean, one. Just look at Lamar Odom. That should be enough. Oh, Lamar. Poor Wait, Pete. Poor Pete Davidson. Poor oh Pete God. Davidson. What is he getting himself in? How does that, by the way, how does that guy, how does that guy pull all of these beautiful women? 
I don't understand. He had Ariana Grande. He had Kate Beckinsale. He has Kim Kardashian. How does he do it? He must know something. I think you know, he, he must has ha- some. I think he has some like inside information. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what it is. It's the weird. You know what? It, I saw this TikTok, and it was it was a picture of Kim K and Pete Davidson, and the and and the girl was like, "I saw this, and I literally can't unsee it." And then she shows a still of the movie Madagascar, and it was the hippo Gloria and the uh, and Melvin the. Uh, the the giraffe because they were a couple and it was like oh my god that's literally that's it's the same thing that's it's literally real life it is the same thing movies art becomes life life is imitation and nothing is real we live in a simulation yeah i mean pete davidson's pulling kim kardashian uh mgk's pulling megan fox i don't know one of these guys got that I don't MGK got. is weed though. So he's definitely got that on all of us. Cause I don't he's think probably anybody a, else can claim that. He's got a, he's got a plug, he's got a plug <laughs> for sure. All right. Well, now that we've, uh, we've hit on the, the hottest guy, the hottest that's, guy. That's, that's celeb talk. That's that celeb is talk. the T uh, kids, uh, folks, uh, sis, whatever it is. Uh, Mitch, I've got to start. This is the weirdest thing. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you guys a breakdown on my Sunday morning, right? I wake up. I check my fantasy lineups, make sure everything's good. By the way, I have four fantasy teams this week. I got wins in all four of those teams. For the first time all season, I got a win in every team in one week. So that felt pretty good. But I wake up, uh, I'm chilling. The Panthers are on a bye. And this, so I'm, I don't got a game to watch in the morning. I'm just kind of going to, I'm going to hang out. I'm going to watch whatever's on. I threw on the Bengals chargers because I was on early in my area. Uh, and obviously that was fantastic, uh, you know, matchup. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just casual, not worried about anything in the world of football on Sunday morning until like 10 minutes into the morning game. When I see on Twitter, the Panthers have parted ways with offensive coordinator, Joe Brady. Like they really tried to sneak that shit in 10 minutes into the NFL week slate. In the in the Sunday morning, the Sunday after afternoon on the East Coast, they're like, okay, and then just sort of slip in at 1:10 p.m. Eastern time. By the way, we fired our offensive coordinator, a guy who had interest in the offseason in like head coach NFL head coach opportunities. That guy's supposed to be this genius that you brought in to revolutionize the offense. You fired him in the bye week. And you tried to get away with jumping the news on Sunday morning. What is going on, Mitch? I I am calling a code red. Something is wrong in Carolina. If it wasn't fucking apparent already. I mean, the Sam Darnold situation. We're firing our offensive coordinator. Like, I don't, I don't care. Just Joe Brady in the middle of the season in a bye week in a season in which you are still in the playoff race. They, they have the tiebreakers over Atlanta and New Orleans in their division at five and seven. They are in the playoff race and they're firing their OC. What is I mean, going on? It seems weird that you would fire with like five weeks left in the year. It, I mean, it, yes. it, that seems weird, but I will say, and I might be in the minority in this, but I think he was overhyped. I think he was overhyped. Like he had the one good year with Joe Burrow at LSU before he got the head that before he got the 
OC job to take on mediocre quarterback play when he started off with Teddy Bridgewater in Carolina. Like, what did you expect? Like, what did you expect when he comes from Joe Burrow having the greatest college football season of all time to Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold? I, I, I don't understand what you would expect. It just seems like everything was overhyped about Joe Brady. Um, I mean, he's going to have opportunities as OC um, at the collegiate and professional level. Like, there's plenty of vacancies to fill. Um, but you know, just to name some, uh, this, well, let's, know. let's hold off on that real quick. Cause I kind of want to just talk about this from the perspective of Carolina for a second. And we can talk about the Joe Brady okay. future okay. because I do think that the timing of this may have something to do with the open carousels of coaching occurring right now in college football. Okay. Right. Like, I think that's, I think that's relevant, but before we kind of go there I, I do want to talk about this from a football person from the Panthers perspective because reportedly one of the beat writers in Carolina reported that uh it, it part of the reason that that he was fired was due to the fact that Matt Rule wanted the Panthers to run the ball 31 to 34 times a game specifically 31 to 34 what an arbitrary number but 31 to 34 times and that Joe Brady wasn't running the ball enough. And I do agree with you that his tenure as an offensive coordinator of the NFL was nothing to write home about. I mean, they were the, an average offense last year with, with Teddy Bridgewater. Now, no Christian McCaffrey for the majority of the year, but still, uh, I, I think they're there left a lot to be desired. His red zone offense has always been bad. They've never been able to score in the red zone. And that to me is a play caller issue. That's that's a scheme issue. That's not putting your guys in the right situations. And ultimately, like, this might just be a situation where him and Matt Rule just said, listen, it's not going to work out long term. We, we want to make a change. And right now, as you mentioned, Mitch, there are many opportunities out there in the world of college football to be an offensive coordinator. So maybe it's best for Joe, for Joe Brady to get out now so that he can go secure one of those jobs as opposed to having to wait till the end of the NFL season when his options would be way more limited. Yeah. I mean, he's still young in like the scheme of, in like the, the realm of coaches, of right. You know, he's still very Just young in general experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned that, you know, there was going to be plenty of opportunities at the college football level, Oklahoma, uh, has themselves a new head coach, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Uh, there's going to be opportunities for him to maybe go there. USC has a new head coach, Lincoln Riley. We talked about last week. They're going to have. They're going to have. There's going to be an opportunity for him to go be an OC there. LSU, Miami. We'll get to that in just a minute as well. Um, you, you know, there there are so many. Uh, yeah, the, the as far as the NFL goes, the, the New York Giants come to mind because of. Uh, the vacancy left uh, by Jason Garrett getting fired uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be plenty of options for him. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, I, I think I equated to like, if you put, if you start a quarterback too early and he needs to sit on the bench a few years, like he needs sure. to learn a little bit. And it just seems like there was a little bit of a, a little bit of lack of experience, you know, you, you need to build that in the college ranks a little bit uh, before you 
before you make the leap into the NFL level. And the, yeah. col- the, the, and the, and the pro game is so much different than the college game. Yeah, well, um, and, and Joe Brady was an offensive assistant with the Saints, though with a limited time with Sean Payton, but had some sort of, you know, uh, some uh, initial contact with the NFL, you know, was on coaching staff in the NFL uh, before LSU even. Uh, but yes, the guy with, with uh, you know, with not a lot of experience. And it, it is not uncommon for guys to take one or two, three opportunities before they find a permanent place and a home in the NFL, uh, you know, so even and to I, go back I mean, to college and then later, you know, pursue another NFL job uh, that is not uncommon. It's not in place. It doesn't mean that he won't make it one day as a legitimate OC or even a head coach, but, uh, b- but there are a lot of intriguing opportunities in college, as you said, and he would be wise to look at those. I mean, and to, and not to dwell too much on an offensive coordinator firing or, or, you know, Joe Brady, but you know, when you, when you, and to kind of jump around, when you brought up that they wanted to run the ball 31 to 34 times a game um, and they were only rushing 16 times a game on average, why would you, when you have a guy like Sam Darnold who has struggled throwing the football in New York, want to throw the ball so much with a guy that's trying to have kind of a career revival, you seem like you would kind of want to ease him into that system, especially when his weapons really weren't all that spectacular to go to. I mean, he had, he had I mean, guys their, their wide receiver, their wide receiver group is, is, is pretty talented. It's a, it's top half of the NFL in my opinion. Uh, but you also have Christian McCaffrey running the ball behind you. So wouldn't you want to use that reason? Like, I know he's great in the passing game, but Christian McCaffrey is also a really good running back right outside of a pass catcher. And so, yeah, it, it does. It doesn't make sense with so many questions at quarterback over the last few seasons, even to to avoid running the ball. And I know their offensive line is not great, uh, but Chuba Hubbard has shown to be a pretty good NFL running back. And you have Christian McCaffrey and that tandem can be pretty potent uh, if you just leaned into that a little bit more. So we'll see. I mean, perhaps with the change, you know, we'll have a couple, uh, you know, what? Uh, five games left over the the rest of the season for the Panthers. So we'll, you know, we'll see if that increases, that number increases, and, and if the offense becomes more effective as a result. But uh, certainly the timing is interesting, and I would not be surprised if in the next week uh, he finds himself a new home uh, back in the world of college football. Right. Yeah. Spe- speaking of the world of college football, Mitch, let's talk about some of these openings. Uh, you know, some of the coaching carousel that uh, we began to talk about last week with Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly. Uh, I we mentioned in in talking about the Notre Dame job uh, that the favorite at the time was the current de- defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman. Well, he was hired to be the coach uh, at Notre Dame, uh, which was a big move. As, as we kind of talked about last week, it seemed like the pushback if he didn't get the job as far as the recruits go. Uh, he was a big recruiter for Notre Dame. A lot of the players came because of Marcus Freeman. So uh, if he were not to have gotten the job, they probably would have lost a lot of recruits. You've seen a lot of guys jump into the transfer portal and it would have take, uh, you know, it would have been a big overhaul to overhaul that kind of roster, a team that was number five in the college football playoff rankings, right? Just outside. So, I mean, this is, this was a, a good team and you wouldn't want to lose that talent. So uh, they keep Marcus Freeman, which what seems like the right move. And again, I think if your players and your recruits want that guy, that is the guy you have to get. That's what the world of college football is now keeping players happy. And uh, you know, 
being a place that players want to go be at and hiring the right guys to do that. And that's what uh, it seems like Notre Dame has done with Marcus Freeman. Yeah. I mean, I think we all saw the video. Uh, the team was ecstatic that they were retaining yeah. Marcus Freeman. So yeah. like, this is obviously the, the guy that the team wanted. Um, I mean, this, I mean, this was like kind of like a, my, uh, when Miami retained Larry Coker, like they were excited to keep, that guy and you know there because that was the coach they wanted to play for so um great opportunity for marcus freeman uh, i think he's totally deserving of the job and if it's the guy the players want then give him what the players want i mean that's only going to make your exactly. that's only going to give make your program more successful in the long haul yeah, and Notre Dame retained their offensive coordinator as well. So a lot of stability and turnover there uh, in South Bend, which should only help them next year uh, as they uh, will fight for a, a college football playoff spot again. Uh, and, and what a way to start off your college coaching career, Mitch. Uh, he's going to be coaching in a New Year's Six Bowl uh, with his first in his first ever game as an as a head coach of the, at, at the FBS level. So uh, that'll be quite the test for for Marcus. Freeman. Uh, Mitch, one of the other openings that was filled, obviously Lincoln Riley going to USC, uh, the Sooners job was vacant, uh, but they have filled it with Clemson defensive coordinator, Brett Venables uh, in what I think is, is a pretty surprising move. Uh, you would have expect, I would have expected that they would have stuck with somebody in the quote unquote Lincoln Riley tree. Uh, you know, somebody in that familiar style an offensive guru, but they went the opposite way, a defensive coordinator, a guy who has led some incredible Clemson defenses. And even this year uh, with the Clemson team that ended up nine and three uh, did not reach preseason expectations and had an offense that really struggled. Clemson's defense was legit all season long. Uh, and that is a lot of credit to Brett Venables and what he was able to do there. Uh, and so now he goes over to Oklahoma as they sort of have an identity shift, perhaps. Uh, and it will be interesting to see what offensive coordinator they bring in alongside Venables uh, to bring that uh, that that high powered offense. And perhaps a Joe Brady would be the perfect hire uh, in a situation like this. I mean, when you think about the uh, those classic OU days where they're constantly at the top of the college football ranks, they were a defensive-minded team. Right. Um, so this kind of fits the pedigree of uh, the of the Sooners. Go get a defensive-minded guy, um, and he is no stranger to to the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, he was a co-defensive coordinator from 1999 to 2003, and was the defensive coordinator from 04 to 2011. So he has some familiarity with the university. You know, he had the successive run, uh, the successful run under Dabo Sweeney, but now he is making that leap into the head coaching ranks. Um, it seems like a, a, a very well thought out and good hire for the University of Oklahoma. Now, the offense under Lincoln Riley seemed to get a little bit stale. Uh, they had quarterback issues, and I'm sure they'll address that uh, moving forward, but this seems like a very Oklahoma type move and a good solid move to get Brett Venables to, to head the Sooners going into next year. Yeah, I think it's a good hire. Like I said, I am curious though, who they pair him with as an offensive coordinator. Uh, can they bring in a, a big name, uh, perhaps a Graham Harrell or a Joe Brady uh, to, to, lead a high powered offense alongside a defensive guru uh, at the head coach position. So that will be curious um, as they look to fill that here uh, soon. Uh, the final one, Mitch, I want to talk about, and this 
Uh, not a surprise as rumors started to build, and certainly after losing the Pac-12 championship, this probably catapulted. Uh, but Miami moved, uh, parted ways with Manny Diaz and has hired Oregon head coach Mario Cristobal to take over for the Hurricanes. Uh, Mitch, I'm not surprised by this. Miami threw a lot of money. They bought out Manny Diaz's contract. They hired a new athletic director. They gave Mario Cristobal a very favorable contract and bought out his contract at Oregon. So they spent like $30 million just in buying out contracts to make it work. That is quite the investment into a new head coach. So clearly they believe that Mario Cristobal is that guy. I don't know if he is the guy. I'm not necessarily impressed with what he did at Oregon, but I do think that he is a better fit in Miami than he was in Oregon. And perhaps uh, in an ACC that can be had, he can have similar success to what he had in the Pac-12. Well, I mean, he's a Miami guy, right? He's going home to coach the, going to coach at the U. Going to be paid $8 million annually. They're going to buy out the $9 million contract at Oregon. To me, it just... Miami's not what it was in the 90s, in the early 2000s. And for me, I like the hire for Miami because you're, you're going to get you know a guy that's had a ton of success in the Pac-12 with Oregon. I mean, he was like, thir- was it 35 and 13 or 36 and 13 in his time at Oregon? Tons of success. It just seems like a step down for Mario Cristobal. Maybe he's going, maybe he's going to coach and maybe the place that he's always wanted to coach. Sure. Um, I feel like Miami is a, as a step down as far as tier wise goes from Oregon to Miami, but Miami also at the same time, one of those organizations, those programs that uh, could catapult you into, you know, to excellence. We saw it with Butch Davis. We saw it with Jimmy Johnson, what they were with you. They got NFL hiring uh, coaching jobs, but that was when that was in Miami's heyday. Miami hasn't had that in a while. Right. So um, th- th- yeah. it, it just seems like a little bit of a step down to go from Oregon to Miami. If, I, if I'm Mario Cristobal, you know, it is curious, Mitch. I, I do have to say the more time I spend in the world of college football, the more I see the inherent biases from the West and the East coast, even the Midwest where you're from, kind of taints the view that you have of certain programs and the national view and the way that the other side of the country views that program is very different on the West coast here. I feel like we are defensive of and hype up our West coast teams, our West coast programs. Sure. I think nationally they aren't viewed quite in the same light. I think USC is known as, you know, the best program out West, like potentially it always has the most potential. I don't think Oregon has quite the respect that it has on the West coast because we love those teams that come out of the West coast and do well. And Oregon has been that team for the past 20 years. Uh, But I do think Miami is a better job at the very least. They're pretty Mm. even. I don't know if there's a huge difference. Miami certainly isn't one of the best jobs out there. No, I don't think it's a huge one. But but it is an interesting situation because, as I said, you know, the Pac-12, there's only a handful of teams that are really, truly competitive year in and year out. And if you could be one of those teams, you can, you know, really have a shot. And I think the ACC is the same way. It's not a very strong conference top to bottom. But you so a Clemson can emerge or Florida State can emerge and for four or five years just absolutely dominate the conference year in and year out. Miami could be that. 
Mario Cristobal could build that in Miami and that team in the ACC was always competing for the college football playoff. It was always considered one of the top teams in the country had that inherent respect that perhaps the PAC 12 doesn't always get to the same degree. And so in that regard, I think Miami may be a better spot and ultimately a better fit for Mario Cristobal for sure with his ties uh, to Miami and, you know, just what he can do as a recruiter uh, when you have so many connections to that area. So we'll see how it works for Miami. Again, they're investing a lot of money into this guy, into making this move, which I do find curious. Uh, we'll see if it pays out, but the potential certainly there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Mitch, uh, that's it on the college football. Oh, wait, real quick, before we move on, I do want to talk about this Oregon job. Because oh. as all the coaching carousels go, the minute somebody leaves, another job becomes open. And so now we have the Oregon head coach job and an Oregon team who has been the class of the Pac-12 North, at least their division, certainly one of the best teams in the Pac-12 over the last you know, handful of years and had success under Mario Cristobal. Uh, some of the names associated, I've seen some noise around Chip Kelly potentially making a return to Oregon from UCLA. And I think that you could certainly agree that in the Pac-12, Oregon is a better job than UCLA. Certain and, and considering Lincoln Riley has now come to USC, do you want to be competing in the South, in the Pac-12 South, in that division with Lincoln Riley every year, or would you rather try to take them on in the Pac-12 championship as you're the team for the Pac-12 North? So as far as that goes, Oregon would be a very interesting destination. Uh, the other name that has folks around these parts uh not uh, not too happy sweating a bit is uh it has been reported that uh Oregon has put in a formal request to interview head coach Kalani Satake for the BYU Cougars and Cougar fans are not excited about this by any means they are they are uh tweeting at the athletic director saying extend Kalani now you could don't let him go. Please don't like mess this up. So we'll see how that goes. I don't think Kalani leaves. Oregon is certainly going to be an interesting situation. I don't know if that's their best candidate. Oregon could probably do better than Kalani in that regard, though. I do think Kalani would be a great coach uh, at Oregon, but he is a BYU guy through and through. He has said he wants to be the Polynesian Lavelle Edwards. He like that is, this is what he's always wanted to be. And they're going to, joining the the big 12 in like two years. So I don't think Kalani's really going anywhere, but BYU fans are worried and I hope he gets the interview because he definitely deserves that. And I hope he uses it as leverage to get even more money from BYU, get his coaches paid, get what he needs uh, here in Provo. Yeah. I mean, I don't see Kalani Sataki leaving. I mean, that there, there's a strong tie between BI, B, like you said, there's a strong tie between BYU and and him, I don't see that happening. There, you know, there's other names out there, like you said, Chip Kelly potentially making a return, leaving USC. Uh, there's Josh Huppel from from Tennessee. What if he gets fired at the end of the year and he's one of the available guys? Um, there's Joe Brady. Joe yeah. Brady. Uh, could Brady be a- is really intriguing to me, even if he's not head coach, but as OC in Oregon, they could really use some life in their offenses. Uh, I think he'd be great in the Pac-12. One one that I don't think will happen, but I did see uh, was Dave Aranda from uh, oh, Baylor. From Baylor. See, but I don't see but that as I, he a has them, upgrade. He has them headed, and he has the Bears headed in the right direction. Right. Yeah, so I mean, they just why, won the Big Twelve. Why would you yeah. leave? Why would you do? Why would you leave? So, yeah. 
you know, I, that was another name I saw thrown out. I don't think it's going to happen, yeah. but you know, there's, there's plenty of candidates out there that Oregon will fill in and they'll probably get a big name guy. They sure. Probably will. Of course. I mean, cause again, Oregon has uh, been at the top of the pac 12 and the top of their division. And they have an opportunity to bring in a rival to USC and really make this thing about Oregon and USC every year and being the top of your conference. And they have the capability of doing that uh, if they can bring in the right name. So uh, Mitch, that's, that's going to be it for the college uh, carousel uh, here. Let's do our weekly Kraken update. The boys continuing to play pretty well, Mitch continuing to play pretty well. They, in, in the last, uh, in the last week, they've had three games. They got an overtime loss, a shootout loss, which still gets a point. So that is, that is good. That's not a, you know, that was the loss to the Red Wings. So a loss, but you still get the point for the overtime. They beat the Oilers and then a tough loss to the Penguins six to one. So uh, again, they have been playing better and you love to see, you know, yes, they, they weren't able to get it done in overtime, but still securing the point because you got to the shootout. So that's uh, that's a big win for them. Yeah, big win for them. Uh, I think what's even more significant is the shot, the shootout loss to the Red Wings. I mean, yes. that's a good team that you took down to the wire. So, right. you know, they're able to stay competitive. They're they're going to be able to stay competitive. They're not in the cellar anymore. Uh, screw you, Canucks. You are, Oh, and I don't mean that as a racial slur, by the way. That's just the name of the team. Um, so, uh, they, they're in the cellar now. Uh, we, we're not, we're not last anymore, Dallin. We're not last. So that is great. Uh, to see. Nine, nine, 14 and two, uh, 20 playoff points attributed to us in the Pacific division. So, you know, what? uh, probably not going to make a playoffs, but you know what? We're, we're getting better week in and week out and we're starting to play good teams way more competitively. Yeah. Still a lot of the season left, you know, still a lot to go. So we'll see how they can pull, you know, how, how it goes down the stretch for them. But right now, playing better, which is what we want to see from the Kraken uh, as we continue to get excited uh, about what they're doing there in Seattle. Uh, Mitch, uh, a couple NBA storylines before we wrap up the news segments here. Uh, just a few things I wanted to talk about as the season continues here in the NBA. Uh, starting in Portland, uh, the Trailblazers have moved on from their GM, Neil O'Shea. They did a workplace investigation into his conduct and have it's resulted in his uh, firing. I don't know the exact details of any of that. Uh, there was allegations against him in the workplace, clearly, and uh, they've decided to move on. Well, it's put Portland in a, in a very interesting situation. We talked at length in the offseason about the potential of a Damian Lillard trade and what that could look like and where he could go. I think in the light of this move to move on from the GM, I think it's important uh, for any NBA fans out there to be monitoring this situation because I think things might come to a head here soon on this situation on whether or not Dame is a part of their future. Are they going to further invest into Dame and now move CJ McCollum somewhere? Do they want to blow it all up completely and move on from Dame and CJ? You know, what exactly do they go get a Ben Simmons to pair with one of these guys? Do they just try to blow it all up completely? I mean, it could go a number of different ways and the move to, uh, to, to fire the GM just sort of 
I think is it's the first domino in what we could see. And there's some interesting situations out there. I think the Ben Simmons thing that is real, whether it's McCollum or Lillard going back to Philly, I think that's an interesting situation to the next want Dame. And what could they offer back to Portland? Could be really interesting. Mitch. Yeah. If they want to rebuild, um, the Sacramento Kings should be definitely thinking about that. Exactly. I mean, they got what we talked about, four guards on well, that roster. Yeah, you can't trade guards for guards, though. But if they're willing to trade Nurkic or something or somebody else, you know, see sure. you call them for, for De'Aaron Fox doesn't solve their issues or, you know, it's just more guards. I, I guess not. I guess not. But, you know, I, yeah. But, you know, but, they, three tree, but three team trades can be had where, yeah, like you said, you know, the the Kings as a team who feels like we have one too many pieces we need to move on from this other team wants to move on now we can start making moves I think you're absolutely thinking right there and another team that I wanted to bring up here who's also rumored of potentially making some moves is the Indiana Pacers who are not off to a great start to their season new head coach Rick Carlisle has changed the way this team plays and now players like DeMontis Sabonis who was an all-star before not quite fitting the same way. The Sabonis, uh, and I want to give credit to uh, Chris Vernon, Kevin O'Connor. They do uh, Ringer NBA. I don't know what the name is. The Mismatch, I think. Uh, they do a great NBA pod, and they were kind of breaking this down and, and mentioned how uh, in the past, in his all-star season, Sabonis was attacking in the paint, scoring in the paint, uh, in the post, was where he made his damage, and that uh, as a perimeter shooter, he was maybe average, probably a little below average, and that was not his strength. Well, now Rick Carlisle has him out of the perimeter playing in that uh, position and not getting down low and getting those touches there, and he's become a, a different player in this new system. And so uh, as a result, and the Pacers not playing well, they're looking to move on from Karis Levert and one of Miles Turner or DeMontis Sabonis. So that's another team, Mitch, we talk about the Kings, we talk about the Trailblazers, uh, Pacers as a third team in this mix, moving pieces around. DeMontis Sabonis in Sacramento. I love that. I, I like absolutely that a lot. love that. And you have a gluttony of guards and people you can move on from that would be of interest to an Indiana or maybe another team as you involve a third team into that trade. So that's one thing that comes to mind when I think of uh, the Pacers moving on from Sabonis and, and, and who could benefit from that. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, I mean, here, and here's my question is why is it? And I, I, I'm asking this because you're the NBA guy. Why? I mean, why would, why would they want to move on from the pieces when the coach has changed the system so far? And when that, isn't that the coach's issue? Well, like, I mean, and that's, system, his system is so different that yes. it doesn't fit. Well, they've just brought in Rick Carlisle this year, right, from Dallas, and, and, and he has ties to Indiana, kind of come home, and he has a lot of control in this organization now. They, he's not just a head coach. He is a an, an influence, and they're going to change things and do it his way, and so that is going to mean getting rid of some good players. We'll see if it's the right decision for Indiana. I certainly believe that DeMontis Bonus is a winning player and a guy you don't necessarily want to move on from. But if they could get something else back that works better, then perhaps it is the right move. We'll we'll see how it plays out. But yeah, I mean, it is interesting. You're talking about a first-year coach who is, like you said, seemingly turning a good player into a not-so-good player. Isn't that the coach's fault? They have invested and given Carlisle this control. And as a result, you kind of have to ride this out, see where it takes you. 
Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. so interesting thing to monitor as uh, the season, you know, as we get or some, you know, almost 25 ish games into the season, about a quarter of the way through the NBA season and teams are looking where they're at in the standings and uh, having to decide, you know, what sort of moves have to be made when you're 10 and 16, like Indiana is when you're 10 and 14, like Sacramento or 11 and 14, like the trailblazers are might be time to start making some decisions and making some moves to get yourself in that play in tournament. A hundred percent, especially the Kings, because I picked them to go into a play in tournament. You so. did. So they need to start doing something. Yeah, I absolutely. agree. Uh, Mitch, that is it for the news. Mitch, you have something for us this week. It's a return of the top five. It is a return of the top five. Return to the top Woo! five. Let's go. Like, it's a, it, yeah, yeah. We haven't done one of these in a while. And I've been inspired in f- recent weeks to uh, come up with a few different ideas that we'll, we'll start doing over the next few pods. But, um, Dallin, uh, not to uh, go back to the news, but there was some news coming out that they are officially removing the Staples Center's letters off the Staples, mm, off yeah. the Staples Center, which Saw is just that a, this week. So sad to see. It's a tragedy. I mean, one of the all-time great iconic arenas um, being rebranded. And you know what? Rebrands, Dallin, aren't always a good thing. They aren't always a good thing. And that's what we're going to talk brands. We're going to talk brands. And on this week's edition of Mitch Moe's Top 5 List of the Week. Woo! Yes. Woo! Let's go. Haven't haven't hit that note in a while. Oh, it feels good. We're going to talk about the worst named stadiums in the country. Oh, yes. Let's go. So Um, is this currently current stadiums? These are current stadiums, and they are sponsor-specific because, like, there's a lot of of college stadiums that are named after people that I feel like would be – I mean, now if someone was named, you know, Jared Vogel Stadium, then obviously that would be number one on right. the list. There's no Joe Paterno Memorial Stadium out of, uh, yeah. out of Penn State. You know what I mean? No, absolutely not. But so this is all sponsor specific, uh, yeah. or uh, they, the whatever company bought the naming rights right. for that stadium. Um, honorable mention, only one because I I wanted to keep this succinct or succinct. A Clipper Magazine Stadium. Oh. Um, yeah, Clipper Magazine Stadium, which is um, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It is the home to, uh, let me get this right, uh, the Lancaster Brainstormers, which is an ALFB uh, baseball team, which is a, a very unknown baseball league. Um, pretty pretty terrible name. Yeah. Um, and All wordiness, of that was terrible. Wordiness will, like, you know, spoiler alert, wordiness will play a factor Ooh. in this list. So let's get to number five and let's just start with the obvious crypto.com arena. Thank in you. Los Angeles. Um, the disrespect. The disrespect. I mean, look, call it recency bias, call it whatever you want, but it's a shitty name <laughs> and a <laughs> shitty rebrand, rebrand for a obviously brilliantly named arena already yes i mean they could have said crypto.com center and i would have been happier with that it's automatically better by just changing arena to center i mean come on you know the alliteration in it i mean there was there was it was 
It would have been okay. It would have been okay. Yeah. We've had a conversation about that already. <laughs> so we're going to move on. Let's not get our blood pressure up too high. We're going to move on. Number four on the list, the Smoothie King Center in New Orleans, home of the New Orleans Pelicans. That's a 10-year deal that's not going to come to an end until 2024. So we are coming up on the end of it. But just a bad name. Like, I didn't know what Smoothie King was until they got the naming rights to this arena. So Yeah, it's like a Southern smoothie chain. It's like a Jamba Juice. Yeah. Be like have Jamba Juice Arena. uh, Jamba Juice would suck too. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Jamba Juice. Yeah. Jamba Jamba Juice is good, but it would suck. Yes. As a a name. As a name. Yes. We can agree there. Did you have a favorite Jamba Juice? I always got. So there was there's a secret menu of Jamba Juice. Oh, there's secret. There's secret things you could get. And I always ordered the white gummy. Had no idea what was in it, but it was fire. There was two for me. So there was one that was like a chocolate peanut butter one. That was really good. Yeah. Um, and then there was one called, I, I, and I remember the name, it was a strawberry surf rider. And mm. it was like a, it's like a strawberry lemonade one. It was really good. Really good. Now I want a smoothie, Mitch. What are we doing? Know. We still have a Jamba Juice and Chico too. And I might need to go up. I haven't Jamba seen Juice. a Jamba Juice. In, I don't even know how long. I, I'm going to have to Google if they exist around me. Oh, dude, they're now they're I'm thinking so, about it. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like the last time I drove down the street and was like, hey, look, a Jamba Juice. I think we still have one in Chico. They may not exist anymore. I'm pretty sure we do. Um, well, Jamba Juice, if you're looking to revive your brand, we are available to do all sorts of advertisements. Absolutely. So just hit us up. I mean, I mean, no free advertisements, but maybe no. as this has a trial run. You give us some smoothies. I'll say whatever you want. I'm Absolutely. pretty easy that way. I will take uh, fry. I will take free strawberry surf riders for life <laughs> to read your brand. Um, number three on the list, the KFC Yum Center at the University of Louisville. Oh, it's bad. They added the exclamation point. There's an exclamation point on the word yum, people. It's K- bad. KFC would have been oh, all right. Okay, whatever. But the yum with the exclamation point stupid bad bad dumb dummy dumb dummy dumb dumb those poor cardinals fans i gotta go in there and watch college football i I know that's bad uh terrible um they're number three on the list number two and just because i hate the boredom the boringness if that's a word of this stadium name it's gonna. It's the home of the Fiesta Bowl and the Arizona Cardinals, the University of Phoenix Stadium. <laughs> Why would you name a stadium after an online university that has no sports? Yes. No sports. Yes. Why would you do that? Great questions all Obviously, around. Obviously, at the time that it was built, state of the art. Name, not quite state of the art. It was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Um, University of Phoenix Stadium is number two on the list. But number one, Dallin, this takes the cake. And I didn't know this number one existed until I found it. Do you know who the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers are? Absolutely not. Okay, so they are a high A ball affiliate for the Milwaukee Brewers. Okay. And they play in Grand Chute, Wisconsin. Okay. Grand Chute. 
is the name of the city. Right. They play in Neuroscience Group Field at Fox City Stadium. How bad is that? Or why? Why so wordy? <laughs> Neuroscience Group Stadium, Fox City Stadium. Fox City Stadium is a great name. Yeah, that's fine. That's a great name. Why is it the Neuroscience Group Field at Fox? That's like Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. <laughs> yeah. Why are they doing that? <laughs> that's a great point. That's a great point. That is bad. That's just, again, it's too much. Just shorten Way that shit much. up. Way too much. Um, yeah, that's the top five this week. Okay. Friend. I love it. I love it. So give us, give us, give it to us five through one one more time. Number five, home of the Lakers and the Clippers, crypto.com arena. Number four, Smoothie King Center, home of the New Orleans Pelicans. Number three, home of the University of Louisville football team, KFC Yum Center. Number two, sorry, not the football team, the basketball team, but uh, number two, University of Phoenix Stadium, home of the Arizona Cardinals and the Fiesta Bowl. And number one, the <laughs> Neuroscience Group Field at Fox City Stadium, home of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. <laughs> Great stuff, Mitch. We love the top five and we missed it here on the podcast. So good to have it back. Great job, buddy. Well done. That was great. I loved it. Uh, well, let us... we, ha- we have more down the pipeline. So, okay. We're looking we'll... forward to it here. Uh, let us go on a little tour on a little oh. campus tour. And Mitch, we've got four places to visit this week. That's right. We got, uh, we got Tuscaloosa. Yeah. We got Cincinnati. We got Ann Arbor. And then we're going to not ancient Greece, but Georgia. We're going to Athens. <laughs> To talk about this not ancient Greece that's right Mitch because those are the four destinations the four homes of the college football playoff teams this year uh the selection Sunday going down a few days ago and the final four teams in the college football playoff as you mentioned number one Alabama number two Michigan number time. three Georgia and number four Cincinnati they did it. The Bearcats did it. They won the American. They got some help from Oklahoma State. They by got some help. They got a lot of help because there's no doubt in my mind if the Cowboys win that game that they go into the playoff and the Cincinnati Bearcats do not. It's a foregone conclusion. So the committee had no choice but to put Cincinnati in undefeated 13-0, and a chance to go against your crimson tida before we get into this mitch because i know you're excited this was the matchup you wanted we talked about that last week how do we get alabama cincinnati before we get into all this mitch i've got some gripes Uh oh i've got gripes with one man specifically a clown a walking talking clown Uh oh can i mitch i know i am not authorized i am not the warden of the pit of misery. I, I, I'm merely just an, an admirer from afar. Can I suggest an entry, a, 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 a participant in the pit of misery, please? You know what, Dallin? I don't consider you just an observer of the pit of misery. I consider you an honorary guard. So if you have, I mean, now- Co-warden? You, no, no, not co-warden. Assistant to the warden? You, 
You were once a member of the Pit of Misery, so I can't give you co-warden. Oh, that's I was. I forgot about that. Remember, remember when your your whole haiku shenanigans? Oh, I can't believe I forgot. I did time. That's that right. crazy. But you're out now, and you know what? I You've am. changed your ways. You are a reformed person. Yes, it worked. So, you know what? I said, hey, I'm gonna hire this guy as a guard of the Pit of Misery. To set an example for all the entrants and how right. they get out. Okay. Because you're an exemplary human, Dallin. Oh, well, you, you may not. You're an exemplary human. Um, who's your suggestion? I need you to put Kirk Herb Street in the pit of misery. Oh, oh Herbie? We're putting put Herbie? Herbie in the pit of misery. Okay. This get, clown. Present this your case. Clown present your case. gets on ESPN on Sunday and postures for the playoff committee they put cincinnati in they had to put cincinnati in like they literally couldn't pick another fourth team you couldn't put notre dame cincinnati beat them head to head you couldn't put ohio state they didn't even get to play in their championship game you weren't gonna bump baylor all the way up from nine to four and bump cincinnati out you had to put cincinnati in and he has the audacity to be like well, what was that about the the committee not not ever gonna not ever putting a G five in the playoff? I thought that was uh, I thought that was the narrative, huh? I thought that was never gonna happen, huh? Look at that they they did it. They proved you all wrong. Like, what are you talking about? And then, Mitch, this is what put it over the top. I was peeved about that. I'm like, you go be a clown. You posture on national TV for the people who pay your checks, whatever. That you know that's absurd. The system is designed to keep out group of five teams. It is a four-team playoff. It is designed to keep out the have-nots. So don't get here and say that it wasn't meant to do that. But then on top of that, Mitch, today at 3:19 p.m., he tweets: after seven years of bitching and complaining from a vocal minority that the college football playoff system is rigged and the quote small guy will never get a chance. Haven't heard much from you the last couple of days. Everything okay? What's the next conspiracy theory? Can't wait because that one is history. What a clown, a payaso. You are a payaso Kirk Herbstreet. What are you doing? doubling down on this narrative do you can you not recognize that the system is designed to keep out group of five teams and the only way the only way a group of five team was going to make it into this into this system into this 14 playoff was for there to have to be conference champions with two or three losses they had to go undefeated they had to play a team in notre dame that ended up as the the next team out and beat them so that there was no doubt that they were better and they had to have everything break the right way to get in. And he has the audacity to double down on this stupid ass take about how it's a conspiracy theory that the committee has a bias against group of five teams. It's absurd, Mitch. The council has deliberated the council being me, myself and I, and we have determined that Kirk Herbstreit is a power five supremacist. Thank you. Um, yes. Kirk Herbstreit, dilly, dilly. Dilly, dilly. You I, are in 
the pit of misery. I couldn't believe it. I heard it on ESPN and I was like, whatever, bro. And then I see his tweet doubling down on the take. What are you doing, bro? Gary Barta doesn't need your help defending himself. Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. His his actual his actual sentence is going to be power five supremacist. That's, I, that's exactly what it is. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, I'm glad that you agree, Mitch. I'm glad I got that off my chest. I've been I've been holding that in all day, waiting to talk about it here on this podcast. Look, I mean, look, and, and, and you know what? This is only because he's an Ohio, an Ohio State guy. He's an Ohio State guy. He believes that his Ohio State Buckeyes were wronged in some way. And he wants to, he wants to go to bat for the rest of the he wants to go to bat go to bat for the rest of the power five teams that didn't get in. Screw you, Kirk Herb Street. Cincinnati was not only maybe a top four team, but maybe a top two team in the country at one point. And you want to you want to make the argument that there's a there's a conspiracy theory to keep other teams out and put Cincinnati in? You're a fool. You're a clown. It's bad. It's, wow. it's you know. And here's the thing. Cincinnati did get in and the playoff committee did put them in the like, right. Decision yes, that was happened. Made. The right decision took was made. All of the circumstances going the right way. And like literally Oklahoma state is a yard short from going to the playoff over Cincinnati, right? That Baylor, Oklahoma state uh, game. Like they are literally a, a yard away from going that's- to the college football playoff. Cause if Oklahoma state wins that game and wins the big 12 as a one loss team, they're in over I mean, Cincinnati and there's no doubt about that and I sympathize with OK State on that that's a tough loss that was bad I mean, that, it was crazy that, I mean it's a great I mean, game it's fantastic that's that's, that's closer than that Super Bowl game Rams uh Titans uh, Kevin Dice or no no yeah no yeah, I'm the, trying to no I'm trying to was, it was Dyson wasn't it it was Kevin Dyson yeah. and uh uh Mike we'll the Rams Mike, Mike Mike Jones was the linebacker that right made right um, yeah. So uh, yeah. all that aside, Mitch, I want to talk about these initial matchups because we do get one versus four Bama versus Cincinnati. This is the cotton bowl will be taking place December 31st, one thirty or 12 30 PM Pacific kickoff at AT&T Jerry world. Mitch let's, let's talk about this matchup because the opening line minus 13 and a half for the for the tide mitch don't sleep on the bearcats i would i would not take that right now i'd be picking i'd be taking the plus 13 and a half so okay here's the deal first of all roll damn tide we're number one in the country again right where we yes, should you be. absolutely demolish georgia and rightfully so alabama is the number one team in the country in my opinion no doubt about it we are right where we should be here's the deal though i am sp- I am terrified of Desmond Ritter. I am terrified of the Cincinnati Bearcats defense. This is a good team. Plus 13 and a half is a trap line. That's a trap spread. You're going to want to take Alabama plus 13 and a half, and it's not going to feel good. I know these are early lines. We still have almost a month before this yeah. game is played. So the, the you know, the spread's going to change. The money line's going to change. The over-under's going to change. All of it's going to change. But if we're talking early... I'm picking Alabama to win the game, but I'm taking the plus 13 and a half. I think that Cincinnati loses the game, but they cover and it's a really close game. And that's what we wanted. That's what I was talking about the last couple of weeks about like, Hey, look, I think Alabama will beat Cincinnati, but this is the game we want because this will be a great college football game. Yes. This will be an underdog against the juggernaut and the juggernaut's going to come out on top 
But you know what? It's going to be a great storyline and a great game to talk about. But all we wanted I, was the opportunity, right? We wanted and to this see it. A, Give the this team sets up Cincinnati the chance. This sets up Cincinnati so great in the coming, you know, in the next year. Absolutely. To, to be ranked high to start the year. Listen, and if they get and dogged gonna, and put outside the top 10, I'm going to be furious. Well, it's, I mean, they're going to lose a lot of pieces, likely Desmond Ritter, a lot of those defensive guys going to the NFL. So they may, you know, end up outside the top 10. But sure, this but. is a team that's going to go into the Big 12 in a couple years. And the Big 12, you know, Oklahoma State, Baylor, they're legit. Cincinnati, BYU, they're legit. Like someone's going to have a shot to be the new leader of that conference, right? To be the team to beat. It had been Oklahoma, Texas at times in the past. Who is going to be the new team to emerge? Well, right now, the highest ranked of them all is Cincinnati. So building upon this for a couple years, as you said, making a college football playoff and then going into your new conference, they have an opportunity to be the team to beat right away. And that is, uh, you know, really special opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, if you're a betting man and you want to take the ultimate risk, just take the money line at plus 400 Cincinnati and just be like, Hey, look, I think there's an outside shot that the Cinderella team can do it. Um, but gut should tell me Alabama gets this done. By the way, Alabama six and seven against the spread for that the year. Cincinnati eight and five, so just a touch better against the spread. Um, so maybe taking the plus 13 and a half, even in a Cincinnati loss in your favor there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Mitch, as far as this matchup goes, and we'll get more into you know our actual predictions and stuff as we move forward, but I my initial reaction to this, to the college football playoff, the way that these matchups have played out. I believe that whoever wins this game wins the college football playoff. Ooh, easy, easy. If Alabama wins, they're the best team. They're probably going to handle Michigan or Georgia again. If Cincinnati pulls off the unthinkable and upsets the tide, then they are the, the team of destiny. They are meant to go 15 and 0 and win it all. So, and ultimately, you know what? You know what? This comes down to me, Mitch. This comes down to at this point in the in the college football season, and we see it year after year. The team with the elite quarterback, who can get it done when his team needs it, who can make the big plays, put the team on his back, go out there and win one for you. You need to have that at this stage of any season. We see it in the NFL. We see it at college football in the playoffs in a winner go home scenario. You need a guy who can go out there and win one for you. And I believe there's only two quarterbacks in this college football playoff that fit that bill. And it's the two guys in this game, Bryce young and Desmond Ritter. So I believe whoever comes out of this is going to be well positioned to beat Michigan or Georgia and have their guy, you know, lead them to a championship. And I think both Ritter and Bryce young are more than capable of doing that. That's spicy. That's a spicy take, but I'm not that far. I mean, I'm on board with you. I mean, like you said, if there's two guys that can get it done in clutch time. It's Desmond Ritter and Bryce Young. So, um, yeah, good. I mean, I get the game I want. I get the game I yes. want. We talked about all the possibilities of why I shouldn't get this game. I get it. So I'm happy. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And the other uh, college football playoff semifinal will be the Orange Bowl. Uh, this is number two Michigan at number three Georgia at Hard Rock Stadium. 
the home of the Miami Dolphins. Uh, this one, Mitch, minus seven and a half for Georgia. The Bulldogs, the number three seed and favorite in this game. Uh, obviously, Georgia was the number one team in the country uh, almost all year, right? Uh, heading into last weekend when, when the tide knocked them off. Now they fall to three, but still favored in this game. This is a tough draw for Michigan. But Michigan is playing really well right now. And Georgia just suffered their first loss of the season after starting 12-0. and How do they handle the next three and a half weeks between games? How do they focus in on getting back to their winning ways in a situation where you win or you go home? I'm curious to see how this Georgia Bulldogs team responds. This is a game of two fantastic defenses. I don't believe in the Georgia offense, Mitch. I don't believe in Stetson Bennett. That's going to be a tough challenge. So if Georgia wins this game, it's got to be 20 to 13. You know, you got to just impose your will defensively on this team and suffocate them into a win. Uh, That has got to be the formula for the Bulldogs. And kind of for Michigan, uh, it's kind of the same boat. I think Haskins, their their running back is really solid. I think they can do a little more offensively, but still uh, a team that relies heavily on a great defense should be a fantastic defensive battle. It's going to be a really good defensive battle. Um, you know, it, it seems like a very uh, square, very even quarterback matchup when it comes to Stetson Bennett and Cade McNamara. Um, it, neither one of those quarterbacks are super impressive. You know, Stetson Bennett has the great story of being the walk-on and going back to JC, then coming back. He was a third stringer to start the year when they came into camp. Um, now he's a he's the uh, yeah the starting quarterback of the number three team ranked in the nation. It's a great story, Michigan. 11 and two against the spread, Georgia eight and five against the spread, which I think is a surprising statistic that they haven't covered more often than they have based off the defense that they've been playing with the entire year. I early lines tell me I should take Georgia in this one. I think Michigan covers. Um, I think another close game. This is one of the most competitive college football playoffs that we've had since the playoff era. And I think Michigan will cover, but I don't think that they'll beat Georgia. That's the early line. That's the early take from me. Um, obviously, that's all going to change, and we'll see what changes going forward. But you know, Georgia's the, the defense. You can't deny that, man. I mean, they gave up what it was like fifteen points per game or something like that. Something stupid. Um, On the season, they averaged. 9.5 points per game, but that includes the 41 points they gave up to Alabama. Before that, the most anyone had scored against them was like 17. Yeah. So, like, like I, I mean, it was absurd. They, they had an absurd defense. Michigan's offense um, has been, uh, has really come to life over the last few weeks. Um, but, you know, Michigan to cover, Georgia to win. That's yep. what, that's what I got. Should be should be a good game. And, you know, it's interesting that the semifinals have never really produced really good games. It's pretty rare that the semifinals have not been blowouts. Uh, typically, it takes that final matchup, you know, the for the, the championship to get a really good game. But I think this year, both these should be pretty good matchups. We'll see uh, how they play out. We wanted to get into the rest of the New Year's six, give some early thoughts on these matchups, Mitch. So let's start with the Peach Bowl. Uh, this is uh, this this game will happen December 30th, uh, 4 p.m. kickoff. This is at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, home of the Falcons in Georgia. It's the ACC champs, number 12, Pitt, 
against uh, the number 10 ranked Michigan State Spartans and at large uh, in the New Year's six. Uh, Kenny Pickett and the Panthers got it done over Wake Forest in the ACC championship game. And now Kenny Heisman has a chance to cap it all off and head off to the NFL with the New Year's six victory. Uh, right now, Pitt is favored by three. Minus three uh, over the uh, over the Spartans, which I, I love that. I love that line right there. I love that for Pitt. I, this should be a fun game. You've got a great quarterback in Kenny Pickett, a fantastic running back in Kenneth Walker the third. Uh, th- this is a fun matchup. I like this one. A minus three spread with a team that covers the spread yeah, ten, you know, ten out of thirteen times this year. They're ten and three against the spread. Feels really, really good, especially yeah. against a high-powered offense, the number one offense in the country in Pittsburgh, uh, going against Michigan State. I'm gonna take the over of this game, over set right now at 63 and a half. Obviously, that's going to change. Um, but I would take I would say take the over. There's gonna be a ton of games scored. Kenneth Walker could go off at any second. Uh, for Michigan State. Um, and you know what Kenny Pickett does. Kenny Pickett just absolutely lights it up every time he goes out. That Pittsburgh offense is potent. Um, take the over, take the spread. I like Pittsburgh in this game over Michigan State early. No doubt. All right, Mitch, uh, next New Year's Six games, that's going to be the Fiesta Bowl. This is New Year's, uh, New Year's Day, 10 a.m. Pacific time at State Farm Stadium in Arizona. Uh, it's number nine, Oklahoma State, uh, at-large runner-up in the Big 12 against an at-large number five, Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish. Oklahoma State, as we mentioned, came up just a yard short, and Notre Dame jumped ahead of them uh, to number five in the college football playoff rankings, ultimately doesn't get through because of that head-to-head loss to Cincinnati. Now we have an opportunity uh, to catch Marcus Freeman in his first ever game as an FBS head coach. And it comes in the Fiesta Bowl against the Cowboys uh, right now. The, the spread minus two and a half in favor of the fighting Irish. Both these teams good against the spread, Mitch. So uh, this should be this feels like a pretty competitive game. Pretty even. Now, I will say for the Cowboys, uh, Jalen Warren, their fantastic running back was really banged up in the Big 12 championship game. Pretty much didn't go at all. Uh, And that is a huge blow for something that had been a huge strength for the Cowboys. So how they overcome uh, that kind of loss, you know, could hurt them in this game. It's probably why Notre Dame starts off uh, favored in this one, but uh, this could be a really good matchup. Yeah. Both of them almost dead nuts, even against the spread Oklahoma state nine, three and one, they had the one push this year, Uh, Notre Dame nine and three. So very, so both teams, very good and very even uh, against the spread uh, spread set. Like you said, at minus two and a half in favor of Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame's just a really good team, man. And I really think that um, I really think that Marcus Freeman shows out in his first time as Notre Dame head coach. Give me Notre Dame early in the minus two and a half spread over Oklahoma State to cover. Okay, yeah, Mitch Rose Bowl up next. Obviously, this at the iconic, the classic Rose Bowl. In Pasadena, it's the, the Pac- granddaddy of them all, the granddaddy of them all is the Pac-12 champion Utah Utes taking on the number six Ohio State Buckeyes An at large team did not even participate in the Big Ten championship after losing to Michigan. Uh, now it's number 11, Utah, number six, Ohio State, the early line minus six and a half in favor of the Buckeyes. Uh, Mitch, Utah is playing at a really high level right now. 
the goal for them for the past five seasons, in fact, in the past 10 seasons of being in the Pac-12 has been to get to this game, to win their conference and get to the Rose Bowl. And they finally accomplished it. How they will handle that moment now that they've got there. Can they go win the game? I'm not quite sure. It's very early, uh, so we don't have to give predictions yet, and I won't, but I like the line where it's at right now. I think Ohio State should be favored in this game with a Heisman candidate quarterback, C.J. Stroud. Obviously, we know what Ohio State is. They are an Oregon loss away from being a playoff team, potentially. I mean, you think about that. If they beat Oregon earlier this season and they lose to Michigan State and up 11-1, they might be a playoff team. So uh, Ohio State is a legitimate team, uh, Nothing, you know, I know they didn't make the Big Ten championship, but this team's legit. Uh, this should be another uh, great matchup. Ohio State, 6-5-1 and one against the spread. Utah, 6-7 and seven against the spread. You know what the saying goes, though, Dallin? Hungry dogs run faster. I like Utah plus 6.5 here to cover against Ohio State. I don't think – I don't think that they, they – they play well against a hungry Utah team that's been fighting to get to this game. They're finally here. They ha- they they are the Rose Bowl representative of the Pac-12. I don't think they've let this moment slip between their fingers. I like Utah covering the spread barely, but covering. This is early, by the way. It will change. Utah plus six and a half over Ohio State. Okay, Mitch. Uh, final New Year's Six game to talk about the Sugar Bowl at the Superdome. In Narlands, it's the number seven Big 12 champion, Baylor Bears, taking on the number eight Ole Miss Rebels. Mitch, outside of the playoffs, this is the best game. This is the best game, in my opinion. Baylor, Ole Miss, legit programs. It's reflected in the spread, too. Baylor favored, minus one and a half. This is a tight game already. Uh, this could be, you know, this could end up getting closer to a pick'em by the time you know we get to to kickoff. So you've got Matt Corral on one side. Uh, on the other side, it was a it was a freshman quarterback leading the Baylor Bears to a Big Twelve championship. No Jerry Bohannon as he was injured. Who, who will be the quarterback in this game? I think is going to affect how this spread ends up. Uh, is it the freshman again? Is Bohannon healthy? Baylor has a strong defense, a fantastic run game led by Abram Smith, a linebacker converted to running back there, 1,400 yards for him on the season. So this is two really balanced teams, two potent offenses. I'm excited to see what Matt Corral could do against the Baylor Bears defense that's been solid. Uh, this should be a really, really fun matchup. But this is by far the game I'm most excited for of the New Year's Six. This would be a fantastic game. It is a pick in my mind. Uh, regardless of what the spread is to start, I think this will be a game that could easily push Baylor 9-4 and four against the spread. Ole Miss, sneaky close to Baylor, 7-4-1 and one against the spread. They have the one push earlier this year. Just take the over-under because it is a true pick um, especially if Gary Bohannon is healthy and playing at quarterback, then you have a, then you have a, a more serious uh, uh, thing, you know, thing on your hands because um, you're not going to be able to take the over under or the spread, excuse me, in this game, if Bohannon's healthy. So hammer the over under early, but don't place your bets yet on any of these games because 
it's all going to change. This is just our perspective. Yeah, for sure. And we'll get uh, more into it as we get closer. And throughout the bowl season every week, we'll pick out a handful of uh, bowl matchups that we're most excited to see that week and do a little preview for you uh, throughout the rest of this month. Mitch, we wanted to talk about some of the Heisman finalists as the four finalists were officially announced this past week. They are quarterback Bryce Young from Alabama, quarterback Kenny Pickett from Pitt, quarterback C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, and defensive end Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. So, uh, Mitch, I first want to start off talking about these four semifinalists, uh, what they've accomplished this season, and maybe uh, the odds that we, you know, where we kind of feel that they stack up in regards to the favorite. Uh, Right now, it seems like the clear favorite is going to be your guy, the Alabama quarterback, Bryce Young. 4,300 passing yards, 43 touchdowns, four interceptions uh, for Bryce Young. And he seems like he's the favorite. It helps that his team is number one in the country. And doing what he did and his team did against a Georgia defense that seemed unstoppable seems like the perfect Heisman moment to cap it all off. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean... I think when it comes to these Heisman finalists, man, as much as I love Aiden Hutchinson, throw him out. There's three other quarterbacks um, up for, for a conversation here. I think that these quarterbacks have made a fantastic case each individually to be a Heisman finalist. I think that that supersedes whatever a defensive end does, no matter how well that he's played. Um, and Bryce Young should be the favorite. Bryce Young has played absolutely. He's, he's built different, man. You know, he, he reminds me of a Russell Wilson type guy, um, kind of an undersized quarterback, can throw the hell out of the football. Um, and you know what? He's smart. We saw in that we saw in that SEC championship game plenty of times. He just threw the ball away instead of tucking it and running it. And we know he's capable of doing that. He threw the he threw the ball away, knowing that he's more valuable throwing the football than he is running it. So um, guy that has mobility. A uh, guy that has thrown the ball exceptionally well throughout the course of the year. Uh, Bryce Young, to me, is not quite the shoe-in, but should be the favorite. Should be the favorite. Yeah, and and, and uh, I think I believe he is the favorite right now to win this award, and rightfully so. He's had a fantastic season. Uh, the, the other guy who seems really in contention, in my opinion, the guy who I would vote for if they asked me, is Kenny Heisman. Kenny, Kenny Pickett. Pickett quarterback. From Pitt, Uh, his season as a senior, a super senior, uh, fifth-year senior, came back with the extra COVID year. 4,300 passing yards, 42 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Now, Bryce Young had more passing touchdowns, technically more passing yards uh, on less attempts there. Uh, Obviously, ended up with a better record, number one team in the country, college football playoff. Again, that's why Bryce Young is a favorite. But Kenny Pickett was the guy nobody saw coming. He was the story that we see year after year in the world of college football. Now, last year, 2020, it was Zach Wilson. The year before that, it was Joe Burrow. We've always, you know, we're we're accustomed to these late risers in the process. The guys that come out of nowhere and really put their stamp on the world of college football. And this year was Kenny Pickett. Uh, And that's why I would love to see him get the award for that narrative. I think you can always give it to an Alabama player. Every year there's an Alabama player deserving of the Heisman, right? But not every year does Pitt have a player capable of being that guy. Dan Marino don't come around 
every five years at, uh, you know, at Pitt, like it does at some of these other programs, players of that caliber. So love to see Pickett get that recognition. I just don't think he will. Again, Bryce Young statistically better uh, and his team better as well. But that there's uh, Kenny Pickett's stance for you. Yeah. I mean, Pickett, um, the 42 touchdown passes are school records is a school record as well as his 20 rushing touchdowns throughout his career. So, I mean, he is a career record holder at, of multiple touchdown records at the university of Pittsburgh. And you're absolutely right. Uh, Dan Marino type quarterbacks don't come out all the time, especially when it comes to the university of Pittsburgh. So yeah, the last one they had Dan was Dan Marino. Marino. So, <laughs> so there you go. That just so, goes to show how long it's been. And you know what? If, like if Bryce young doesn't win it, I want to see Kenny win it. Sure. I want to see Kenny win it. Absolutely. The other quarterback in this mix, Mitch, and and to me, the worst, the worst selection of these, the least deserving selection here is CJ Stroud, uh, quarterback from Ohio State, who had 3,800 passing yards, 38 touchdowns, five interceptions, uh, less than 400 passing attempts. I was able to put up good numbers. And again, Ohio State, a good team, number six team in the country, 10 and two. But I just felt like there were other players deserving here and ultimately Stroud's not going to win it and isn't deserving of winning it over those other two quarterbacks so why not throw in Kenneth Walker the third the running back from Michigan in this situation why not throw in Will Anderson the linebacker from Alabama who is had an incredible season in his own right and as a defensive player deserves recognition that's where I would have preferred to see this finalist position go not CJ Stroud who Again, it's like the Alabama thing. Ohio State, uh, it's Ohio State quarterback having a pretty good year. Was he anything special? Like, not then from what we've seen, right? So, as a sophomore in his first year as a starter, too, what he's done is impressive. I don't want to take that away from him by any means, but is it Heisman worthy? Is it number, is it top four Heisman finalist worthy? In my opinion, no. I would have rather seen it gone to, again, a position player, uh, you know, somebody else who doesn't normally get that shine. Let Kenneth Walker sit on that stage. He's not going to win it. We know that. We know Aiden Hutchinson isn't going to win it. But, like, you know, give players like that some shine, some well-deserved shine. Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is the typical Ohio State bias that everyone gets. I mean, I mean, yeah. Ohio State has pl- had plenty of great quarterbacks at the college level. They don't translate into the NFL level. And they, they obviously they look great in the college football level because they're better than everyone else. But when, you know, when really push comes to shove and they're, and they're stacked up against all the other talent in the world, they're really nothing that, that great. Um, you know, there's a lot of Heisman's that uh, do, do, do translate well into the next level. And I feel like that's kind of what the Heisman is about. Um, you know, the, it's, it's about college football excellence, but you're also looking at kind of the next generation, the next uh, level of, uh, you know, the next guy that's going to be the next NFL great. And that always hasn't been the truth, but more often than not, it has been. So uh, CJ Stroud is, you know, could have been easily substituted uh, by anyone. Like you mentioned, Kenneth Walker, anyone else. Yep. Uh, the last player there, uh, Mitch, Aiden Hutchinson, 14 sacks on the season for the defensive end from Michigan, 58 total tackles, three pass deflections, two forced fumbles, one fumble recovery. Uh, obviously Hutchinson is a defensive player to get, uh, on this list as a finalist, really big deal, very well-deserved. As you mentioned, he's not going to win it, but that's what we're talking about, giving these guys an opportunity. Uh, I love that, and I'm glad that he got that recognition here. Yeah, great defensive player. 
But so. yeah, it's it's tough to win it against three quarterbacks. Yeah, and so. again, I mean, he had a great season, but it also wasn't like record breaking by any means. And as a defensive player, he you did really sing- have to do something really crazy and you need quarterbacks to not do anything crazy and Bryce Young and Kenny Pickett had really good seasons so unless you do something absurd as a defense player you're just never going to beat a quarterback like that no I mean he set Michigan single sack you know single season sack record with 14 this year that's great but you know you have to do something crazy defensively to be able to do that unfortunately right that's just that's just like as unfair as it may be you know uh Mitch to wrap up the campus tour, we got to give you the player to know before the NFL draft, as we have done every week as we've begun this segment. Uh, to recap the people, these are the names on the list. Aiden Hutchinson, Edge, Michigan. There you go. Malik Willis, quarterback, Liberty. Kayvon Thibodeau, Edge, Oregon. Drake London, wide receiver, USC. Kenneth Walker, the third running back, Michigan State. Tyler Linderbaum, center, Iowa. Kenny Pickett. Kenny Two Gloves, quarterback from Pitt. Last week, it was Devin Lloyd, Pac-12 champ, Pac-12 defensive player of the year over Kayvon Thibodeau, Devin Lloyd, linebacker from Utah. And this week, Mitch, it is time that we have a Cincinnati player on this list, and it seems fitting to give some shine it's to bad the quarterback. Luck. It's bad luck. I don't like it. For the Bearcats, Desmond Ritter, quarterback for the Bearcats, Uh, He is a guy who is going to be in the mix of first-round quarterbacks in this upcoming NFL draft. As we've talked about with many of these quarterbacks, we have a couple on this list already. Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis. Uh, It is going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. It might depend on the team, the flavor of quarterback. What do you like? What do you not like? Do you want the athlete? Do you want the precision guy? Do you want the big arm? Uh, it's going to depend a lot on the pre-draft process, the combine, the way these guys interview with teams on who shakes out where, but Desmond Ritter is going to be in the mix first or second round, a top 50 type player and Ritter. What you see from Ritter, uh, is a guy who's improved all four seasons at, at Cincinnati, uh, senior this year. He's got good size, six, four, he's athletic. He can run the ball decently well. He can get out there. He's athletic. He can make plays, uh, you know, on the perimeter. But uh, for Ritter, 6'4", 215, he had a 91.0 PFF grade this season. If you look at starting in 2018, his first year with Cincinnati, 74.1, then a 72.2 in 2019, 76.3 last year when Cincinnati was a top 10 team, and people were talking them up, and Ritter was good but not great. This year, he was great. A 91.0 grade for Desmond Ritter. He ended a season 3,100 passing yards, 30 touchdowns, and eight interceptions uh, for the senior. And Ritter, again, he's going to be a guy in that mix at quarterback. Pick your flavor, pick you know whatever you want, but he's going to be a guy who's proven he can win, who's got good athleticism, He's going to be a raw prospect, more or less. Not a guy you're probably going to come in and start right away, but in maybe intriguing early second round, late first round selection, uh, who in the right situation on the right team could really be something special in the NFL. So there you go. Desmond Ritter, go Bearcats. Mitch, you should be worried about him for the next couple of weeks because he it's going to be a tall task for Alabama. Yeah, well, first of all, roll damn tide. Um, <laughs> second of all, um, 
yeah, you're absolutely right. Super talented guy. I mean, tons of talent in this guy. And you're right. He's going to be a project. He's going to be a guy that's going to have to learn, um, sit behind someone. Um, I don't know who that team is that's going to take him, but you know, early first, early, you know, or late first, early second, uh, seems about right for Desmond Ritter. Um, it's, you know, great athletic build an athlete, uh, can run the ball exceptionally well for his size, throws the ball exceptionally well. So yeah, I mean, definitely a guy you got to keep an eye on moving forward. For sure. All right, Mitch, that is it for the campus tour. And we're going to go ahead and take a little break, hit a mid roll. And when we come back, we're going to get into NFL week 13 and our week 14 quick picks. So stick around and we'll be right back. Thanks for checking out the sports hour today. We appreciate you wherever you're listening, but if you haven't already, we recommend you check us out and give us a listen on anchor. Anchor allows us to provide the best product to you. You can go support the sports hour and become a permanent part of the show. Like my saint of a mother, Sammy and my father, David did. You can even leave us voice messages with your thoughts and opinions that we can use on the show. Prove to us that you know better than me and Mitchmo. Moral of the story, people, be more like Sammy and David. Go find us at anchor.fm slash the sports hour guys and become a part of the conversation. What the hell are you waiting for? Welcome back into the sports hour with Mitchmo and Dallin. Uh, we've walked through the campus tour, a little bit of insight into the upcoming bowl season, bowl season, a great time in the, in the world of sports, uh, college football playoff, also a part of that, but now we are stepping up into the NFL and down a lot of playoff implications, uh, started to take fruition in this week, 13 matchups that we had. Yeah. We're just, uh, you know, about five games left for every team now. Uh, on the docket and so we are getting towards the end of this season and the playoff race is becoming clearer and clearer and certain matchups have huge implications on a week-by-week basis so that's kind of where we wanted to focus this week and let's start with the Thursday night football game Cowboys and Saints it was Taysom Hill four interceptions a mallet finger situation similar to what Russ had uh, and the Saints fall to the Cowboys, 27 to 17. Mitch, as far as the Cowboys go, briefly here, eight and four. Uh, I thought that was a, a solid win. Zeke was not, you know, the running game was tough. And the Saints defense has a tough, is a tough defense, uh, you know, but the offense did enough. Dak was, was good. You know, Dak was good. Uh, the team was good enough to get a win. I don't take much away from the Cowboys other than that. This was a win they needed to have and they got it done. Anything to add there? I mean, uh, th- this is a run game that needs to just add more Tony Pollard. I mean, Zeke gets pretty predictable. So yes. um, the more they add Tony Pollard in, the better Dallas is off. The better off Dallas is, excuse me. Um, the better and, Dallas gets off. Uh, it, let's, let's not just, let's not harbor on that. Um, <laughs> you stink. Um, <laughs> yeah, the better Dallas off, the better Dallas is the better Tony Pollard gets off. when they, when, no, when, no, when they, <laughs> when they mix up the running game, you know what, Dallin, I I'm sick of your shit. You know what I am? <laughs> I can't help it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dallas is better when they use two running backs. Let me yeah, put it that way. 
I said that. Remember when I said that like a month or so ago? And I was like, should they, is Tony Pollard better than Zeke? And we, I know. Were, and we weren't ready to say it then, but here you are basically saying that just less. Bold. I think, I think Dallas is better off trading Zeke at the end of the year. And we could talk about this. Like, I think running that, backs don't matter. What do you work for PFF Mitch? Come on. What is going no, on here? No, I think that Tony Pollard's just a better fit. I like it. All right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Mitch, let's talk about the saints here because okay. a couple weeks ago, it seemed like the saints were like a legit playoff team. I think they were five and three and it was like, you know, or five and three, five and four. And it was like, all right, yeah, they are going to be one of these teams in the mix. They're five and seven. Now this quarterback situation, it was Jameis. Then he was injured. Then they were starting Trevor Simeon, just not a good deal. Taysom wasn't healthy. Taysom gets healthy. The foot gets figured out. He's all good to go. And now it's a finger. And that finger showed with four interceptions this week. Uh, you know, so one of those was a tipped ball at the line that goes up. I mean, some of them were Taysom's fault. Don't get me wrong. I'm a Taysom defender. Some of them were definitely his fault. Some of those were circumstances. And that finger 41 feels that like finger, more than just a finger. But you know. I mean, you I mean, if you watch that game, you saw he started the game. He was like five of six. He threw the ball well. Everything Five was looking six. good. He threw 41 passes, Dallin. Before the injury to his finger, he was playing pretty good. And things unraveled drastically after that. And if he's not going to be healthy and Jameis isn't going to be healthy, and it's Trevor Simeon, I mean, and it's not just the quarterback position, Mitch. They got Mark Ingram and Ty Montgomery taking carries in this game. I mean, their pass catchers are Nick Vanette. And Garrett Griffin, like who that, like Kenny Stills is, I mean, the, the, like, what is this team, this offense? Like no matter who you throw back there, it is in a bad spot unless it can get healthy. The Saints aren't a playoff team at this rate. That defense is legit. And like I said, they're going to keep the Saints in games this year. But this, uh, the, the injuries at the, on, on the offense, and especially with the quarterback situation now, I mean, I don't know how they make the playoffs. No, they don't. They don't. They don't make the playoffs. Uh, there's only one team out of the NFC South, and that's going to be the, the Panthers. Bucks. That's going to be the Bucks. Uh, um, and you know, Taysom's not a good quarterback. I mean, like like I said, I, I understand he had the finger thing, but you know, I, and you could you could be a Taysom defender till till the end of time. You're never going to convince me that Taysom Hill is a actual viable quarterback option he's a sure. gadget guy he's a gadget guy he, he was, was great 19. on the ground 11 for 101 on the ground that was the only thing that's that worked awesome. for them on offense they literally in awesome. the third or that's... fourth quarter it was just Taysom go run the ball because we can't get anything else done that's awesome for a running back not for a quarterback so yeah, it works for a lot of quarterbacks but you know well you know but you know Lamar Jackson can do that but he can still throw a hell of a lot better than 19 for well, 41 and four interceptions. Lamar's had some bad so, games too. Let's, you know, Lamar's had the three or but four he throws games it, too. And but he, he throws it, never but he, but he, your finger, but you yeah, know. no, that's well, all he, I'm saying, Mitch, know. listen, I wish we could have seen a healthy Taysom performance. Cause I want Taysom to get that legitimate chance. It's his first start of the season. All, you know, all the way in week 13, he finally gets his first start. He finally gets healthy, gets the starting nod and he can't even be healthy, right? Like we don't even get to see healthy Taysom. Try to, you know, try to do something. It has to be an injured player uh, and in, you know, an unfortunate situation for New Orleans, who, as I said, it just keeps piling up for them. And, you know, no Camara, 
no Jameis, no Taysom. Like I like it's no Michael Thomas still. I mean, this is just it's a bad situation for well, Mike. And I'm with Michael, you. Yeah. I'm with you that they're not. Uh, I with as many teams competing still in the in the NFC, I can't see how New Orleans comes through and, and snacks one of those spots. I just can't see it at this point. No, no, not at all. All right, Mitch, let's talk about uh, one of the best matchups this week. Uh, a very interesting game. Uh, the final score, not quite, you know, not a close game, 41 to 22. The Chargers go into Cincinnati and they beat the Bengals. But uh, Herbert versus Burrow, an interesting matchup to say the least. Chargers get it done here. Let's start by talking about the Chargers perspective on this. Seven and five they get to with this win. Uh, much needed to stay afloat in this AFC. Uh, obviously, with the uh, with with the Chiefs getting a win, they stay ahead uh, in the division. But Chargers needed a win and needed to stay alive. And Herbert looked really good in this game. Twenty six for thirty five, three seventeen, three touchdowns, one pick. Herbert had a fantastic game. You, you know, you see those special throws from him, throwing deep, finding those open guys. Uh, making plays in the end zone when they needed it, getting it to Keenan Allen there a couple times. So I thought Herbert looked great, and the Chargers are well-positioned to be a playoff team. Uh, still sort of, you know, fighting there, just a game back of the Chiefs uh, for the division. It's going to be tough to catch them, but, uh, I mean, they're certainly there, and uh, and this was definitely a big win. Well, you know, if there's two teams that are going to come out of the AFC West, they're definitely making the case for why they should be. Um, and we'll get to another team in that division here in just a minute but you know yeah I mean Justin Herbert is is proving to be a top 10 quarterback in the NFL right now in my mind um he continues to throw the ball well um he continues to show the difference of a mobile quarterback and a running quarterback um and how there is a good balance between the two um you, you know he's he, he got sacked four times but he escaped a lot of sacks he does have the one carry for six yards which I guess is not really you know, there's, there's nothing really to talk about, but um, he makes the best throws possible. He is a great decision maker in the pocket. Um, he makes Mike Williams that much better. Uh, Philip Rivers can never make Mike Williams look that good. And he makes Mike Williams look that good. Um, this Chargers team is uh, absolutely, uh, I think, the favorite to get one of those wildcard spots um, because you're right. It is going to be tough to chase those Chiefs down. Yeah, and it is a competitive AFC, so getting a win is super important to stay alive for the Bengals. Uh, they fall to 7-5 and five on the season with the loss. Still alive in the AFC North race, and we'll get into that as we talk about a matchup a little uh, later on. But, uh, you know, they were down 24 nothing to start this game. Just a series of unfortunate events for, for, you know, weird turnovers, things, just fluky plays. Jamar Chase had a drop that turned into an interception. It was a weird game for the Bengals and yet they were down 24 they come back and it, and it was at one point 24 to 22 I mean they were within uh, they were within two points before the Chargers scored 17 points in the fourth quarter to win it but uh, I, you know I impressed by Joe Burrow in this game yeah he had two picks 300 yards 24 40 but to bring your team back you're down 24 to nothing in the second quarter and you make that a competitive game going into the final quarter. That is impressive to me. Uh, T. Higgins, monster game, 9-138 in a touchdown. Uh, I mean, they have a lot of weapons. That is one of the best receiving cores in the NFL. I would love to rank 
the NFL receiving cores right now? Because that is one that's got to be up there. Higgins Boyd Chase is really something special. So uh, this team is a playoff team. It's a tough loss that you're probably going to learn from less mistakes. You're going to be better off, obviously, if you're uh, the Bengals here. So, uh, you know, not a detrimental loss because of what happened in the AFC North this weekend. They're still alive in that regard. Uh, but things to be improved upon for a team that we did not expect to be here. Yeah, I mean, you could take away a Joe Burrow interception and a Jamar Chase and add a Jamar Chase long distance reception. It would have been catches, a touchdown if he catches that. If like he catches he was that gone. ball. So like yeah, you know, so like be very differently this in is one a, play. Yeah. Exactly. So this is a very different game. I'm not worried about the Bengals at all. I think that they're a playoff team. I still think they can compete for that division title. Um, because the, just the we'll, game back of Baltimore and, right now, and we'll get into them here in just a minute. So, um, you know, the, the Bengals are, are a very, very competitive team and right now a top five receiving core in my mind in the NFL. Yeah, they're, they're in a good spot despite the loss to the chargers. Mitch, let's talk about Washington, Las Vegas, the football team. Getting mm. another win six and six on the season. They beat the Raiders in an ugly game. 17 to 15. And it just seems like this Washington team is just getting it done, getting it done week after week. They're suddenly six and six and right there in the wild card. As of right now, if the season were to end today, they'd be, they'd be a playoff team again, but just suddenly like that, they're two games back of Dallas in the division. So they might not reach, you know, for the division, but they're certainly in this NFC playoff race, which is wide open. There aren't, many clear contenders in that regard uh, as far as wild card spots go. So suddenly Washington is there. Is Tyler Taylor Heineke enough, Mitch? Can they be a playoff team with Taylor Heineke at the helm? Absolutely. Um, this seems like a very Ron Rivera team. Even when he had the 15 and one Panthers, this team didn't blow team. You know, that team didn't blow teams out. You know, they, they were a very methodical offense that didn't score a ton of ton of points, but they played great defense. And Washington has turned the corner defensively, um, and I and I feel like they're starting to play better defense. I think Taylor Heineke is a great not maybe not the answer, but he's a great placeholder, a guy that can um, get the job done for you. I mean, he it was twenty three for 30, 20 for 30. He he passed with high efficiency. Um, you know, he had the one interception, but he has the two touchdowns. 196 yards. Uh, Antonio Gibson rushed for 88 yards. Um, this is a team that just kind of gets it done no matter how ugly it looks. Um, when the Raiders, on the other hand, uh, a little bit more flashy when they try to go for a win, and that doesn't always pan out for them. Um, so, you know, you, you just uh, – the Raiders are starting to look more like a team that – tries to be the flashy team and isn't successful at it where the, where the Washington football team is a little bit more methodical and it's working out for, they know what they are, right? Washington knows its identity. It's not joking around with itself. It doesn't think it's better than it is. They know Taylor Heineke knows who he is. He's a 28 year old backup quarterback. Who's trying to keep this team afloat, you know, who had an un, you know, an unorthodox path to the NFL. And, and I, I think you said it perfectly. He's getting the job done. That is what this Washington team is doing. It's what, and they've taken on that, 
that sort of demeanor from their quarterback in Taylor Heineke, who it's not pretty. He's it's not it's not flashy. It's not going to win fantasy leagues, but he is getting it done week in and week out. Uh, and they continue to climb uh, in the standings four straight wins for the Washington football team, Mitch. And on the other side there with Vegas Raiders, I mean, they were off to a hot start this season, six and six now. Uh, and they've fallen behind a game of the Chargers, two games behind the Chiefs in the AFC West. Again, we've talked about this AF, this AFC wildcard race is going to be ultra competitive. The Raiders couldn't afford a loss here. Uh, and I think we're starting to see the the losses, the the drama, the everything sort of compiling now for the Raiders. They truly miss Henry Ruggs. They they didn't necessarily throw him the ball all the time deep, but that weapon going deep, taking the eyes of the defense, opened up everything else in that offense. It was a huge element to why they were so good in the beginning of the season. It's why they brought, it's why they picked him 10th overall before Jerry Judy, before C.D. Lamb, because that was the skill set of Henry Ruggs. That speed was going to unlock that offense with Darren Waller there. Darren Waller's been hurt. Henry Ruggs is obviously gone. John Gruden's obviously gone. Uh, and uh, this team suddenly doesn't have an identity on offense. Now, the defense, uh, you know, the pass rush, Max Crosby, all that's still pretty strong. They still can't run the ball. Uh, it's the same old Raiders, but the, what made them special is gone. And as you said, it's like they're still trying to do that, but it's not Henry Ruggs. It's Deshaun, Deshaun Jackson. It's not quite working, and there's no Darren Waller anymore. So that threat in the middle of the field is no longer there, and it, all of a sudden it just doesn't work quite the same. So if the Raiders want to stay alive this season. They need to re-identify themselves quick, figure out what their strengths are and how to execute that at a high level over the last five games. So they're going to see themselves on the outsides looking in. Yeah. Loss of identity. That's the biggest thing for the Raiders. Mitch, uh, a great AFC North matchup here, the Ravens and the Steelers Steelers get it done at Heinz field 20 to 19 Lamar Jackson leads the Baltimore Ravens on a scoring drive at the end of the game. And Jim Harbaugh and the Ravens elect to go for two. Lamar Jackson has Mark Andrews open in the end zone, but misses him on the throw. And the Steelers go on to win this game. I want to start off by saying, Mitch, I think that was 100% the correct decision. The right decision. I applaud Jim Harbaugh and the Ravens for going for it in that situation. You don't leave it up to chance in overtime. You don't. You have an opportunity to end this game on your own terms, and you have Lamar Jackson and your offense on the field. You go for it. You take that chance, and sometimes you're going to get it, and sometimes you're not. On top of that, Mitch, and and Harbaugh mentioned this after the game, the injury to Marlon Humphrey, who is now out for the season, the injury at the cornerback position, Jim Harbaugh said, I did not feel confident in my guys getting stops in overtime if they had to get stops on Ben Roethlisberger with the injuries they had in the secondary you know, better off trying to end it in regulation and see where it goes. So the Ravens fall to eight and four here. Lamar, an up and down game, sacked seven times in this game. Uh, obviously, like I said, leading that last charge, but but not finding Andrews open in the end zone. Uh, it's a tough loss for the Ravens. I don't take too much away from it from the Ravens other than this is just a flawed team who, much like this, you know, we're talking about with the Saints, Injuries have just been a detriment to this team, and they keep compiling now, adding on the defensive side of the ball. Marlon Humphrey is an all-pro level corner. That is a huge piece to be missing now. Uh, Ravens are going to be a playoff team. They might even win the AFC North, but 
it is feeling less and less likely that they are a legitimate Super Bowl tender contender because they are just not healthy. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that has scored under 20 points in the last four weeks. It's been over a month since this team has scored over 20 wow. points. I mean, offens- offensively, they have just been not that good. You know, it, I, and they've been able to win. I, I, I mean, they're two and two, two and two in that stretch, right? I mean, that's not like horrible, sure. but I mean, yeah, sure. But you're playing, but you're playing, but you're playing the Bears and the banged up Browns in two of those four games. Right. So, like, you know, you know, what really do you have to take away from that? Uh, you lose to the Dolphins in another one of those games, and then you lose to a Steelers team that you could easily beat. So, you know, with, with the Ravens. Man, I, I think it was the right call. I think you have to go for broke here. You have the one-game lead. Might as well go for broke and try to get the two-game lead um, in the division. Yeah, and, Bengals and, had lost, right? So, you know, they weren't going to catch you in that regard. No, so you might as well go for it. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, what kind – what, you know, for a defense that has played so well against you and for – or for you, excuse me – um, the defense has played so well for them in that four game stretch where they've have not given up more than 22 and you have not put up more than 20. Why are you not expressing some sort of, um, you know, some sort of confidence in them? You have to do that because they've been doing I mean, that because there's no Marlon Humphrey and the rest of that defense is depleted. And do you want to take your chances that well, Rob Sporger could take 10 minutes before in Marlon Humphrey, but No, before Marlon Humphrey went out, they were giving up still less than 20 a game. They were just putting up less than 20 a game. Right. So why would you ever put that in the confidence of your offense when you've scored less Be- than 20 a game? So, you know, why, why I, 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 it's the right call, but at the same time, I don't understand the giving the confidence in the offense and give, at least giving you a shot. Like you, you're giving yourself a one play shot rather than a one drive shot. So do you, you agree ma- or disagree? Cause it sounds like you're doing both. I, yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't I, think, I, okay. I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I don't, I, it, it's a tough one because listen, if there, if it the works, is, if he, de- if he completes the pass to Andrews in the end zone, it's the best decision they made. And that's it. Right. The only time we ever talk about it as a decision is if, is when it fails. Right when you don't win the game and you don't get a chance in overtime right now, now it's like, well, what should you have done? Should you give you a chance for overtime? What if they go for overtime Steelers win the toss, take eight minutes off the clock and score a touchdown. And you never even had a shot. Right. I mean, like, is that a better outcome? I, I don't know. You know what I mean? But I respect that with the injuries they had in that game, knowing the defense and the personnel they had going into that overtime period on defense to just they, take your but, one play shot with Lamar Jackson and see what happens. And, you know, they had a good play. They a, had a good play and they had a guy open in the end zone. They just didn't execute. Ultimately, I, it's down to the execution. Yeah, well, I and I still think that's a dangerous path, you know, a path to cross. And maybe John, John Harbaugh, because he's been there so long, can feel more comfortable crossing this path when he, when he talks about his defense and he doesn't feel that comfortable with them taking that taking that responsibility going into overtime. Um, it just seems it, it I, I don't know there you could make an argument for both sides. Of course. Um, I think that, you know, I've always been the more risky type anyway. So um, when it comes to this type of play calling, so, you know, yeah, sure. Go for it. 
you still have the one game lead in the division. You're not, you know, giving up a lead here. You're not tying a lead by any means. Um, but yeah, to me, you got to get even with like you've been doing that with Marlon Humphrey. Why couldn't you do it without Marlon Humphrey? If he I is he that's a that, big difference. Yes, Marlon no, no, is, is he that Marlon, big of a deal? Yes, absolutely. Marlon Humphrey is one of the best corners in the in the league, and he's part of what makes that Baltimore defense so special. And they this don't comes have at, much uh, in the secondary outside I, of Marlon Humphrey at this point. So you lose him, and you're asking for backups and practice squad players to play defense in overtime. I don't know. I'd rather give it to the MVP of the league, Lamar Jack, a guy who's won an MVP. Seems- I'd rather give it to that guy and say, go make a play. than then, then hope the practice squad guys get it done. I mean, that seems well, easy to me. That, that, that just, yeah, I don't know. That seems like a little bit more of a lack of confidence in your union, in your, in your defensive unit. And well, shouldn't you not be confident with the injury? That's what I'm saying. Like, isn't that the time to, put the confidence in Lamar Jackson and say, go make us the play. I mean, he's Lamar Jackson. He's the MVP. You pay him a lot of money, right? That's what Not you the know. Way he's throwing the ball. I mean, well, that's the guy that you have and that's who you trust in that situation. That's well, why I like Taylor it. That's why I like it. And earlier in the season, it worked, right? They went for it. That was the famous clip where, where he, Jim asked them, he's like, Lamar, are we going for two? And he goes, yeah. I mean, he says, okay, let's go for two. And he trusts his quarterback there and it got it done this time. Didn't get it done, but that is the price uh, you know, when you that's go gonna, for it at the end that, of the game. I mean, that's going to come back to bite him. I, I will call it right now. That's so, going to come we'll back see. to bite him. All right, Mitch, final game was Monday night. A weird, windy, cold game in Buffalo. Mac Jones attempted three passes. Just an, a, a weird game overall that the Patriots win 14-10 to 10 to not only, like, take full control over the AFC East, but, Mitch, the Patriots have the best record in the AFC they are nine and four, six and zero oh on the road, and they lead the AFC right now. Uh, they are what uh, two, one and a half games ahead of the Bills in this division. Obviously, winning this uh, this head to head, winners of seven straight. What do we have? I mean, there's not much to take away from this game, right? A very weird game weather-wise. Like I said, Mac Jones threw three passes, right? But what what are we taking away from the Patriots as a legitimate AFC contender now? Not just like AFC East winner, but like they have the best record in the AFC. Are they legit? Or what are we going to see over the over the last uh, five games, four or five games of the season for them? Well, I'm, well, I mean, yeah, like you said, not much to take away from this game is a weird weather game. Like the wind was super strong. Um, you had, you know, Mac Jones only attempted three passes in the entire game, but you know, I think what's really to take away from this is that the Patriots defense is for real and that the, the Pats are back. I mean, the bills, this is not their division to win. Pats are back. Okay. You're saying it. Pats are back. Bills are, this is not their division to lose. So they're going to have to scrap. And now, you know, the Pats, winners of seven straight games, Bills, a game and a half back. They're going to have to figure out a way to get past the Pats. And the Pats are going to have to lose some games. Like, so they're going to need a little bit of help here in the last five weeks. So I think the, the Bills are still a playoff team. Sure. And I think that in a playoff situation, they still could beat the Patriots. But, man, the Patriots are back. Yeah, the defense is legit, and the Patriots' ability to run the ball is something that we can't overlook, 
right? Mac Jones is having a good season, but they're not asking him to do much. This offensive line for New England is legit. And as a result, they've been able to run the ball pretty consistently throughout the season, whether it's Damian Harris or Ramondre Stevenson or whoever it's been back there. They've been able to do a pretty good job of running the ball. And now, as you mentioned, they find themselves in a position at 9-4. and four. They, have a game, they have the bye week this week at the Colts, Bills, and then they end the season with the Jags and the Dolphins. And maybe that final week, the Dolphins are perhaps they're still in the playoffs. They're still fighting. Maybe that's a tough game. Bills and Colts will certainly be tough games. Jaguars, not so much. So, you know, it could be a tougher stretch down the down the road. But, I mean, New England's in line for 10-11 wins easy. So, like, this is a playoff team, and this is not a team you want to see in the playoffs. A New England team that can run the ball down your throat and stifle you on defense with Bill Belichick there, a guy who, like, guess what, has been to the playoffs a lot, knows how to win playoff games. This is a scary team all of a sudden. Uh, obviously, in control of the AFC East, we'll see how the Bills can pull off the rest of their season. And obviously, that head-to-head matchup on uh, December 26th will be key to this race. But uh, not a not much to take away from this game in particular because the weird weather, the way that it was played. But uh, certainly interesting for the way that this shakes out. Um, if you had to call it right now, uh, Patriots, well, this is easy, pa- but Patriots of the field, who's winning the AFC? Are the Patriots, you know, the Patriots are legit to win the AFC, or is there going to be somebody else? I think it's going to be the Pats. But you think the Pats I, will win the number one seed? I do, but I don't think they'll be the best team. I think the Bills will turn the corner. Okay. All right. Uh, Mitch, that's it for our week 13 uh, recap. Let us finish off the podcast here with our quick picks. And Mitch, you gained a game this week. Well done. I was below 500, six and eight. Mitch, you went seven and seven. And I have not been above 500 in maybe, what was it, four weeks? I got to take some risks this week. So. I guess so, but at least you were able to get one back. We're staying close. I'm at 106.71 and one. Mitch is 105.72 and one. And we are uh, in week 14 of the NFL, Mitch. This is the final week with buys. Everybody's playing from here on out after this week, but we've got New England, Indianapolis, Miami, and Philly on their bye week this week. So, Mitch, let's start with Thursday Night Football. Thursday night football, Pittsburgh. They are leaving the Steel City to head up to Minnesota to take on the Minnesota Vikings. Um, I got Minnesota in this game. I think a bounce back win after the loss to the 0-10-1, now 1-10-1 Detroit Lions is in order for the Minnesota Vikings. Give me the Vikings at home against the Steelers. Yeah, I'm taking the Vikings, too. I don't think this is a good idea, Mitch. This Pittsburgh team just beat Baltimore, and I know it wasn't uh, you know, a fantastic performance, but Pittsburgh 6-5-1. Minnesota's falling quick in a really ugly game against Detroit that they lose here to a winless division team. Not a good look, but I kind of – I'm with you that I feel like Zimmer and this team will just not let it slip too far. They're going to hang around 500, even if they end up at eight, nine, they might not look great, but I don't think they lose another one fall to five and eight. So I'm with you. Give me the Vikings at home. Following that Mitch Sunday morning slate, the Dallas Cowboys, eight and four big NFC East matchup here. They're traveling to Washington FedEx field to take on the six and six 
fighting Ron Rivera's. This is a fantastic. This is suddenly a fantastic game, Mitch. I mean, Washington was two and six a couple weeks ago. Dallas seemed like they were well in control of this division. Now it's two games separating these two teams. Uh, could be a very intriguing matchup. Give me Dallas on the road because Dallas is the better team. But this, I feel like this should be like a one score game. This should be a pretty good one. Closer than I think people would imagine, but give me Dallas on this one as well over Washington on the road. Following that game, Atlanta, they're leaving Hotlanta to head over to the Carolinas to take on the Panthers. Dallin, I wish I could tell you keep pounding, but with the quarterback questions and the absence of Christian McCaffrey, give me the Falcons on the road in Carolina over the Panthers. Wow. Falcons have not looked good. And Mitch, yeah, there's a lot of questions around the quarterback. We just fired offensive coordinator, but this Carolina defense is legit. Oh no. And this Carolina defense is going to eat this offensive line alive for Atlanta. Give me Carolina at home and an ugly, an ugly win. It's not going to be pretty 23 points to like 17. It's not going to be great, but the Carolina gets it done. Stays alive. In the NFC playoff race, you love to see it. Mitch, an AFC West matchup, the Las Vegas Raiders, six and six, traveling to Kansas City to take on Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, eight and four, six and six. Vegas needs this game to stay alive, right? Another loss here, falling below 500, be very detrimental for the Raiders. But like I said, things just not going in the right direction for Vegas. Can't take them here. Give me Kansas City to get to nine and four. I don't think the Patriots are going to be the number one seed, Mitch. I still think the Chiefs are going to get it done here. They're eight and four. They're right there. And this is a great uh, step to getting there. So give me the Chiefs at home getting it done. I like that as well. I mean, not things just not heading right in the right direction for the Raiders. Uh, give me Kansas City at home against Las Vegas. By the way, Arrowhead. Very tough place to play, regardless of what yep. your situation is. Especially in December. Um, it's not pleasant there all the time. So <laughs> No, no. We might see snow. You, you never know. Um, following that, Jacksonville, they're leaving where, Dallin? The swamps of Jacksonville. That's right. The Jacksonville Jaguars are leaving the swamps of Jacksonville to head over to Music City to take on the 8-4 and four Tennessee Titans. Give me the Titans at home. I still think that they can do enough without Derrick Henry. They're not going to be a super uh, flashy playoff team that's going to go very far, but I think that they will get into this playoff spot. Um, give me Tennessee over a very, you know, a, a very bad Jacksonville team. Yeah, give me the Titans. I mean, I, I don't care how banged up they are. Jacksonville sucks. They are a bad team. They're just a bad team in general. So no way I'm picking the Jags. Give me the Titans. Mitch, this this is garbage game of the week. Garbage game of the week. Okay. Yep. This is just this is just hot garbage. Straight hot garbage. You're a garbage person. Yeah, we've got the four and eight Seattle Seahawks. Sorry, mom and dad, by the way, but Seahawks are in garbage game of the week. It is what it is. Seahawks, you know, and it's not just the Seahawks' fault. They're traveling to Houston to take on the two and 10 Texans. And this Texan team, speaking of bad teams, I said the Jags and the Jags are a bad team. Texans are a really bad team. And yes. uh, the Seahawks, uh, 
Russ is back. He looked he looked really good. Like the finger suddenly wasn't bothering him. He looked good in the win against the Niners. I mean, they had freaking Adrian Peterson at running back, Mitch. AP off the street. Signed that week. That's taken. He's the guy taking the carries for the Seahawks last week. It, it is bad. It is bad up there in Seattle. Things are not going well. This is a horrible game. I almost picked the Texans. That's how gross this is. But I, but I took the Hawks. Okay, give me the Seahawks. Yeah, that's disgusting. But give me the Hawks. It's. I mean, it's Russell Wilson, right? Like he by himself could probably beat the Texans. So. Yeah, he'll he'll will he'll will them to a win on the road against Houston. Um, following that, New Orleans, they're leaving the big easy to head over to uh, East Rutherford to take on the New York Jets. Uh, give me the Jets at home over the Saints. Too many question marks surrounding the Saints. Zach Wilson actually had a pretty decent week. Yeah. Maybe he turns the corner. Best game and of the Saints, year, probably. Saints with a lot of question marks at quarterback, question marks at running back, nothing a wide receiver. All they have is their defense to rely on. Zach Wilson coming off a good week. Ride that momentum. Give me the Jets wow. at home. I, I love the bold take, Mitch, because, you know, I love me some Zach Wilson. And he did have his best game of the season, arguably, this week. Three touchdowns in the game. Uh, just was getting the ball out quicker, just trying to do less. And I think, you know, the the Jets may have had a chance in that game if it wasn't for the rushing, their inability to, to stop the run against the Eagles. And Gardner Minshew, shout out to Gardner Minshew, who got the start for the Eagles this week and Let's got go. a win and just did enough. You know, he, he didn't do anything crazy, but he did enough. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's what they needed uh, him to do. So, uh, you know, we'll... I, I just, this Jets team is, is not very good either. And the offense is going to get better, but this defense is in a bad spot. They've had a lot of injuries and it is just, it's just not going well. Uh, I'm going with the saints in this game. Okay. I'm going with the saints. And I, I just, I'm, I'm picking the saints because the saints have the best unit on the field in this game. And that's that defense. And I believe that that defense will get the win uh, because I don't trust the Jets defense. I don't trust the Saints offense. I don't trust the Jets offense. This is almost garbage game of the week, too. But, uh, but you know, we're going to go with the Saints here. So that's 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 what I got. Saints on the road uh, in the Meadowlands in, at East Rutherford, uh, in East Rutherford against the Jets. Mitch, final game of the morning. Uh, AFC North matchup here. Baltimore, 8-4, and four, traveling the best city in Ohio, Cleveland to take on the Cleveland Browns six and six for the Browns coming off the bye. Baltimore eight and four needing to stay alive in the division race. And I believe that they do. I don't trust this Browns defense. I don't know what we're going to see coming out of this bye. And I believe that the way that teams are going to have to attack this Baltimore defense now is through the air. And I don't believe that the Browns are capable of doing that. So this is not the matchup to take advantage of the injuries for Baltimore. So give me the Ravens and a close game, a hard fought game, but Lamar and the Ravens get it done. Yeah. Close game. I think that Baltimore breaks that streak of not scoring more than 20 points over the last four weeks this week against this Cleveland defense where there's a lot of question marks we don't know what the hell they are. They look great on paper, but we don't know what that team is exactly. Give me Baltimore on the road in Cleveland. Getting into the afternoon slate, 
The Giants, they are leaving the Big Apple to head over to the City of Angels, SoFi Stadium, to take on the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, Give me the Chargers at home. I think that this is still a very competitive team. I don't know if they'll be a 10-win team, but I think that they are a very competitive team. I think they get their eighth out of their potential 10 wins this week. Give me the Chargers at home. Yeah, and a big week for the Chargers where they're, you know, their division, the, the team that they're chasing, the Chiefs, have to take on a division foe in the 6-6 six and six Raiders. So a challenge for them. Meanwhile, the Chargers get to go home and take on Jake Fromm, the former Georgia quarterback, take, who's getting the start this week for the Giants. So that just goes to show where the Giants are at right now. Uh, a huge opportunity for the Chargers to get to eight wins and potentially uh, be right there for the number one seed in the AFC West. So, yes, give me the Chargers at home. Mitch, another tough matchup this week. Detroit, one ten and one Shout out to the fighting Dan Campbells who got it done this week, bit a kneecap, got a win. They're in the record books with a dub after defeating the Lions, or sorry, defeating the Vikings. They are headed to the Mile High City to take on the 6-6 six and six Denver Broncos. Denver also off in a bad way. Give me back-to-back wins for the Lions. Let's go, Detroit on the road. I like Denver at home in Mile High. Denver's always a plus tough, plus t- place to play, or t- tough place to play is Denver um, and Detroit. I don't think will travel well out of the dome to Denver in December, a mile high up in elevation. Give me Denver on the road against Detroit. Following that game, San Francisco, they are leaving the city by the Bay to take, to head over to Cincinnati to take on the Cincinnati Bengals. I like San Francisco in this game. San Francisco, winner of four straight, scoring 30-plus in each of the last four games. Their offense has been on some sort of a roll. Jimmy G has been filling the role great. They have found another role with the offense. The defense has been playing actually exceptionally well, allowing 10 points in each of those 30-point scoring occasions. I like San Francisco on the road against Cincinnati. Wow, Mitch, you must have forgot where they lost to Russell Wilson and Adrian Peterson last week. I'm just kidding. The Niners 6-6 six and six playing well, but I'm going to take the Bengals in this game to stay alive in the AFC North at 7-5. and five. I thought the Bengals showed a lot of heart in a tough loss uh, where things did not go their way against the Chargers, as we mentioned. I think they get it done here at home. A little revenge. This is a little Super Bowl rematch from, you know, about 40 years ago. There is a, there is an 80s matchup between the Bengals and the Niners in the Super Bowl. So perhaps a little revenge for the city of Cincinnati here. Uh, give me Joe Burrow and the Joe Burrow Bengals getting it done. Mitch, final afternoon game. This is uh, this might be game of the week. This one or the Monday night game, but this is not bad for a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. Excuse me. Buffalo, 7-5, and five, looking to bounce back from the tough loss to the Pats, headed to Tampa Bay to take on Tom Brady and the 9-3 and three Bucks. Tough task ahead for Buffalo, but Mitch, they get it done. They're not dropping two in a row. They can't afford to drop to 7-6 and six at this point. AFC race is too tough. And if they want the AFC East, got to get a win. Give me Buffalo on the road with an upset of the Bucks. You are right. Absolutely. That I did forget about the Niners lost to the Seahawks. That's why 
that's how insignificant it is to me. I am picking the <laughs> Niners to win. And I'm also picking Buffalo to get the win over Tampa okay. Bay on the road. I like Buffalo to get back in that AFC East race. Uh, following that, Sunday night football. Dot Bears traveling to Lambeau Field. One of the oldest rivalries in all of football. One of the most storied hit rivalries in all of football bears packers dallin i don't care if the packers are 12 and 0 and the bears are 0 and 12 you gotta be crazy if you think i'm taking my bears against the packers you gotta be absolutely out of your fucking mind if you think i'm ever doing that give me the bears bear Don in Lambo. Let's go. And this is why I love you, Mitch, because it just means I get a free win this week. Fantastic. I will take you'll the Packers see. You'll see. You'll at see. home. You'll Sunday see. night, it'll be cold in Lambo. Justin Fields. And if it's Andy Dalton out there, he might break. I don't know you'll if see. he's prepared for that. You'll see. All right, Mitch, and we'll got to wrap this up with Monday night football. If Buffalo Tampa Bay isn't game of the week, then this certainly is the eight and four Los Angeles Rams heading to Arizona to take on the 10 and two NFL leading Cardinals. Kyler Murray, Matt Stafford, NFC West playoff implications. Rams did not get it done against the Cardinals first time these teams met. This is a big opportunity if the Rams want a chance in the NFC West. A win here would essentially lock that up for the Cardinals. A three-game lead with the four games left. It would be a tough task for anyone to catch them. This has major implications for the playoffs. Give me the Rams to get it done. Keep the NFC West tight. Keep themselves alive. A chance to win the division in what should be a fantastic game. Give me the Rams. Huge playoff implication game. Huge division winner implication game. Give me the Cardinals at home mm, to beat yes. the Rams. Yes. Um, let's go to 11 and two, knock those Rams down to eight and five and almost, almost walk up that division. Yeah. I, but you basically would with four games left, a three game lead and you'd have the tiebreaker over the Rams. They'd have to win out. And you'd have to lose all four games. So, yeah, I mean, they really would basically lock it up. So, big opportunity ahead for the Cardinals. Mitch, that's it for our quick picks. And that is it for the podcast. We appreciate you guys sticking around, hanging out with us this time. As always, episode 111. 111. You love to see it. It's been a while. Must mean something. I feel like it speaks to me. 111. 111. It's a beautiful thing. Well, thanks for sticking around, guys. If you don't already, follow us on our social medias. The Twitter is at Sports Hour Guys. Instagram at the Sports Hour Guys. TikTok at the Sports Hour Guys. You can also follow me on Twitter at Lil Thoint. Mitch, tell the people about Anchor. Anchor is the only way that you can get involved with the with the conversation here on the Sports Hour. Go ahead, get on there, leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash the sports hour guys. Leave us a voice message. You can be a part of the conversation. Ask us anything you want. Anything. Down. Do you have any hygiene, daily hygiene suggestions that you can go out to people? I do. 
Yeah, you could ask that if you want. I mean, you could literally ask anything on anchor.fm slash the sports hour guys and be a part of the conversation here on the show. You can listen to us on Anchor. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts. You can listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We're there. You can find us. Go ahead on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. Tell us we suck because, dude, that's the only way that we can get better. That is the only way that we could get better. And that's what we do this for. We want to get better. We want to hear from you. We want you to be a part of conversation. So please, uh, as Mitch said, check us out on Anchor there. Uh, We would very much appreciate it. Well, it's been a pleasure, Mitch. Beautiful, beautiful time today. Great podcast. Uh, More to come here throughout the rest of the month and uh, the year that is just wrapping up here shortly. Just a few uh, weeks left. So, Uh, Thank you guys for listening. We love you. We appreciate you. And we will catch you next week. Happy late birthday to my niece, Kensley. See ya!